You are listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? What's new? What's happening? I am here hanging out on a sunny uh, summer day uh, in the middle of COVID lockdown. I hope um, you guys are staying safe and sane. Uh, We haven't been doing uh, that many COVID episodes at the end of the week just because we feel like Let's wait until there's a lot to talk about. And that's not saying that there's not a lot going on um, because it's been crazy. Uh, As you guys have seen, the world has been pretty nuts. Um, We will get another COVID special going. And depending upon when this episode comes out, we may have already done one. Um, But I'm just stuck in this weird fucking time capsule. (laughs) The recording of these things and we never know when they're going to get released and how they're going to get released. And so that you guys know how our process works, because we always open the doors to everything. Uh, We try to have at least three, four, sometimes five episodes in the queue weeks in advance, just in case I get pulled away to do something. The show continues, continues to be released on a weekly schedule. And a lot of that has to do with the hard work from Liam on the show. So I know you're listening because you have to listen to me talk. And I just want to say once again, buddy, thanks. You're killing it. Um, So, yeah, I hope you guys are staying safe. I hope you're staying sane. Um, One of the byproducts of this whole experience has been the inability to spend some quality time, uh, real life time with with close friends and people that you want to be hanging out with. And uh, today's episode uh, is an interesting one because if you've been listening to the show, You've heard me talk for at least the past 20 episodes about and constantly reference this guy named Dan, right? Whether you listen to the Porn Star episode, I'm like, yeah, my buddy Dan, who we had on the show, was the guy that suggested I get this guy. The best part is, is that that episode never released. So I'm constantly referencing somebody on the show that hasn't been on the show yet. (laughs) As if he has. Um... And let's be 100% transparent about it. Dan Centrone. Dan Centrone is a director. He's a buddy of mine, uh, now a really good buddy of mine. Um, But I met Dan when I first moved here to Los Angeles. And I met him through Cruda. And I'm always referencing Cruda. I know there's a drinking game out there for how many times I say Cruda's name on the show. Crack a beer at this point. Um, But I met him through Dave. Uh, and Dave was shooting a lot of this guy's music videos for a while. And when I first moved out here, um, Dave was really nice and sort of connecting me with people that he knew in Los Angeles. So I, I, I literally think that my first sort of networking hangout with somebody from Los Angeles meeting was Dan. And I think we met in a coffee shop or something. Um, we sat down and the two of us immediately hit it off. And I think a lot of it had to do with our history. Uh, Dan started as a music video director. Uh, He directed a lot of music videos in the same scene, same genre of music that I was working in for years. Uh, We had a lot of common friends. We had a lot of common war stories. Um, And I just remember that that first meeting, first time meeting this guy, the two of us were talking for at least a few hours and just lost ourselves in conversation. And I knew immediately that we'd become good buddies. And 
something about Dan that stands out uh, above a lot of other people that I've met in this industry is that within meeting him and just chatting for 45 minutes, he was already sharing contacts with me. He was sharing connections with me. He's putting me in touch with uh, agency people that he worked with, with production companies that he worked with, uh, crew people that he worked with. I mean, he was just fully willing to give. Um, and he just met me, which I thought was uh, a really admirable thing. And being from the East Coast, being cold, you know what I mean? Being in that mindset of like, what the fuck does this guy want? That kind of game. Um, it didn't throw me off. It was just very surprising. And uh, I was very happy about it. And surprised, I think, ultimately, because Dan is also an East Coast dude. He's from Philly. Originally from Philly, and then he moved out here to Los Angeles. Um, and uh, it meant a lot. It really did. And so it's no surprise that like within the first few months of being here, almost all of our social scenarios that we were putting together, whether it was barbecues or parties and stuff, he always had an invite. He was fully welcome. And Dan and I sat down early on uh, out here and we recorded an episode. We both had a couple of beers, sat on the front porch and did the infamous unheard episode of the show. And the reason we didn't release it was that Dan and I get so comfortable. We get so comfortable with each other that we go down into tangent holes and uh, we both got off on a pretty hard tangent about the music business and the music video industry. And Dan was sort of, at that time, coming out of writing treatments and I was coming out of writing treatments. And it just felt, I don't want to say it felt negative. It just felt negative. <laughs> And so listening to it afterwards, I was like, yeah, let's do another, let's do another episode. Now, that being said, I'm not saying that we're filtering what we talk about on the show, because <laughs> as you listen to this episode, you'll hear us go down the same sort of tangents. It just, it felt like the tone needed to be different. And so I think ultimately what it needed was just time. And so we took the time, spent some time apart, spent some time thinking about life working on stuff and then came back to it again on the show and thankfully we did because i feel like there's a lot more on this show on this episode there's a lot more that we talk about when it comes to directing we tackled the same notes that we were talking about when it comes to music video stuff without getting lost in a fucking poo poo hole <laughs> you know what i'm saying uh so there's a lot of really good stuff there for this and yeah, I had a lot of cats out of the bag on this episode. So when you're listening to it, there's going to be a lot of bleeping because I specifically have to omit specific facts from the show with understanding that I don't want to hurt the opportunity that certain films and projects have. So I think one thing that I have going against me on this show, especially when I sit down and I talk with someone like Dan, is that I'm willing to open up too much. <laughs> <laughs> and so you may not even notice it because through the magic of editing, Liam will cut out all the stuff that needs to be cut out for now, but I will come back on this show in the next year or so. Um, so yeah, very excited. Dan Centrone is on the show today. The, the, the fabled Dan is on the show. And 
uh, I know a lot of you guys are like, well, who is this guy? What has he done for the show? Some of you might ask that question. Like I said, he's helped me book multiple guests on this show. Um, people that he suggested, he's a fan of the show, he listens to the show. Um, in some of our best episodes, like I said, Logan Pierce uh, went to school with Dan. They went to high school together, I think is what he said, um, or college together. Um, and so I wouldn't have met Logan without Dan. I wouldn't have met a lot of different people without Dan. So he's, he's a great guy. Uh, and I wanted to get back to him by doing a great episode. Uh, so strap yourselves in uh, and get ready because on this show, we talk about directing. We talk about music video directing. We talk about uh, what's going on with the features. We talk about um, editing because Dan also, uh, day job is an editor. So we tackle a little bit of editing because we haven't really talked about post-production on the show a lot. Not intentionally, just we haven't lined it up. And so Dan is technically our first editor on the show. So uh, we get into that stuff as well. So there's a bunch of really good nerdy movie industry stuff on this episode. I think you guys will dig it. And I want to thank you as always for following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy on Instagram or following the podcast at In Love With The Process Pod. That's In Love With The Process P-O-D on Instagram. There you guys have been giving advice. You've been giving um, suggestions on the show. You've been interacting. Those of you who have been asking to share graphics, thank you. Big thank you to all that stuff. Um, that is where you can write to me and ask to see my movies is at Mike Petchy on Instagram. I've been trying to get through the backlog of people that have been asking for that. If you have asked in the past and somehow your message got lost, re-ask me again. Send me a new message and I'll get to it. I try to be as on this as I possibly can, but you know the deal. Wearing too many hats, uh, as always. Um, so I also wanted to thank those of you who continue to support the show, whether it's by going through the Audible uh, free trial, which you'll find at inlovewiththeprocess.com. Um, at inlovewiththeprocess.com is where we put all of our sponsor links and the best way to support the show and show your love is to make sure that you go and check out what our sponsors are talking about, what our sponsors have to offer because all of our those links that we put up there, they're all traceable links so that the sponsors that have stuck with us through the, through the years will continue to do so because they see that you guys are interested in stuff, right? It only makes sense. If a sponsor is going to kick money towards the show, they need to have some sort of return on it. So just do me the solid by clicking on either the sponsor links below the episode or the sponsor links at inlovewiththeprocess.com. And some of you may be asking, hey, look, I subscribe to the podcast using Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Why do I need to go to the website? Well, if you're new to the show and you find the fact that there are 85 or 87 or whatever amount of episodes are out when this one comes out, and you're like, well, how do I, what do I go back to number one and listen to all 87 to get to this point? You could. And there's a lot of people that do. Or you can go to inlovewiththeprocess.com and you'll see that I've curated episodes by subject material there. So you can actually go and click on directors. You can click on cinematographers. You can choose the category that you want to play in. So go there. Go through the show. This literally... I'd say 85, if there are 85 episodes out, 87 episodes out at this point, multiply that by two. That's how many hours worth of content is up there for you. And it's all free. 
free content. And I just ask stupid little things from you guys for this. I'm not asking for cash. I'm asking for you to click on sponsor links. And even better, do me the solid right now of going to either your Apple Podcast or iTunes or Spotify and leaving a review for the show. Rate the show and leave us a review. And I know an Apple can get confusing, like how do I leave a review? Just scroll down on the app to where it says reviews. You can leave a review there. I know you I know you fucking have it playing right now because that's how you're listening to this. So like pick up your phone, look at your phone. There you go. Hold it up and scroll through. Go to the actual In Love With The Process page on that app and then scroll down, right? And then you'll see stars. So depending upon how frustrated that this little thing makes you, you can start <laughs> and then leave a review because everybody that leaves a review places it higher in the algorithm. See where I'm going with this? So if you can't reach in your pocket and help donate to the show, then for the love of God, help us get to more people. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, let's get to it. You guys ready? You guys ready to strap yourselves into some pretty honest conversations? Uh, you know the deal. Grab those noise-canceling headphones, sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Dan, finally, you're on the show. The return. <laughs> The return. I said, okay, so I'm always transparent on this show and we'll be 100% transparent with you guys. We have already pre, we had already recorded an episode with Dan. And so if you've been listening to the show, probably, how long has it been now, Liam? It's been like 20 episodes or something that I keep referencing having a conversation with Dan on the show. And uh, you guys haven't been able to hear it. <laughs> Dude, the the first day that i joined you were telling me about this episode <laughs> like day one it's been six months <laughs> well the truth of the matter is, is that dan and i pre-recorded an episode and i'm sure when you when you have such a good pal and you guys both agree on how things work you can find yourselves getting into a pretty fun bitch fest and i just listen to it again and i was like yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe we should do maybe we should do it again and so it's it, you've just been in the queue and uh we've been trying to get you on and i keep me being an absent-minded fucking moron i keep forgetting that the audience hasn't heard that episode so i keep referencing it all the time so for those of you it. yeah and for those of you listening go fuck away yourself. forever <laughs> um but finally on the show, uh, hold on, I'm drinking here, doing all the wrong things. Mm. Finally on the show, and um, I just want to say, before we get into your introduction and stuff, I just want to say that uh, I'm a big fan of you, not just your work, Dan, but I'm a big fan of you as a person. Uh, when when I moved out here, and I was literally out here for le less than a week, you and I hung out, um, and you've been so generous with contacts you've been so generous with advice um and you really helped my transition out here to los angeles to be a very comfortable one so i just wanted to say out loud in front of a bunch of people uh that i really appreciate all that stuff dude i love it i'm terrible at, at taking things like that but 
<laughs> I'll say, I mean, yeah, the, I think maybe because like at that point we weren't really friends at all. You know what I mean? Like we had just met. Yeah. But I do find it weird how a lot of people in our industry won't share connections. They won't share, you know, resources. They'll just kind of like hoard everything. Mm. And it's like, why? What's why? You know what I mean? Why? Yeah, it, it's fear, man. It's that basic fear. And we see it a lot in our business, and we've referenced it on the show before, where it's just like, I don't want to tell people the camera settings I'm using on the camera. It's like, who who the fuck cares? Is that what you're defining yourself oh, as? Yeah, is the exactly. fact that you're... If yeah. that's what you're worried about. <laughs> if, if camera settings are the only thing holding you back from not having like a career, I think you are in more trouble than you, know, than you yeah. might think. Yeah, and I think a lot of people just don't realize, or they they forget... That the way our business works, um, if you are a social being and you like to share and you like to do things, you're going to progress faster. Now, let's pretend like you're a fucking sociopath and you're very calculating and you still want to progress faster. Sharing things helps put you in good graces with the people that you're working with. So regardless, if you're a good person like you are, Dan, and like I am, and you know Liam, I think, falls into the sociopath category. If you're in that category, <laughs> That's accurate. then do it, do it knowing that you're going to progress. And then maybe uh, selfishly, you'll help shape this industry into being a, a sharing and uh, confident and ha- helpful fucking business as opposed to the other. I think we're on our way there. I think I think things have changed. I mean, I feel like it, I feel like it's different now than it was, whatever five ten years ago. Especially the way like Instagram is and stuff like that, and the way people share things, and even just sharing stories. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And sharing, um, like, just being open about like, hey, like, this is all going on. Is this happening with anyone else? This sucks, and everyone's like, yeah, that's happening with us too. And everyone can kind of team up and be like, yeah, this all sucks. Let's let's figure this out. Yeah, totally, dude, totally. And I think that's very helpful. And what it does is it takes, I remember when I first started my old production company, me and my old business partner, we always felt like it was us against the world. And it was like, we're trying to build something and we're trying to put something together. And for the first few years, that was really the mentality, like close the doors, sort of do our shit and pull our stuff together and we'll figure it all out. Um, And then I just started to see the effects of that. And within the confines of that business plan, there's a lot of like anger and there's a lot of mistrust that happens with people on the outside. And this person's trying to fuck me. And why is this person going to work with this person? Um, And it just becomes toxic. And then the next thing you know, you're you're managing a toxic environment instead of creating. Um, And so you got to be careful. Yeah. Yeah. You feel the same? You feel it? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, things change when you switch that mindset all of your energy switches and then before you know like you're part of a a bigger community you know what i mean and like you're sharing resources you're getting resources you're growing you're learning you're helping other people grow you know what i mean totally man totally like i if i didn't and i I think i've talked about this on the show um and liam you can always just say mike you've already talked about this so go fuck yourself stop talking about it but um copy when if i hadn't asked cruda to shoot uh, 12KM because prior to that, I had done all the shooting. So if I hadn't asked him to shoot that piece or talked to him about shooting that piece and convinced him to shoot that piece, um, then the movie A wouldn't have looked as good, but B, I wouldn't have met Will, I wouldn't have met you, I wouldn't have met all these different people that have become such an important part 
of the new chapter of the shit that's going on. And, and it just snowballs. So you meet people and you're really great. And if you're a good person and you're welcoming and you're sharing, then that continues. And then you, then you get introduced to different groups. And then you're outside of your circle a bit. And you got to see things in a different way. So it's very helpful. Yeah. And, you know, you might, I mean, sometimes you don't get like tangible results, but I guarantee you that somewhere down the line, it's like you're just getting an email from like an agency or, or something like that about like a job or a gig. And like you realize the reference is someone you may have not even talked to in a year, but you mm -hmm. were just like, you know, you just had a good interaction with them and they suggested you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because years are like days in our business. It's yeah. like fucking. It's like time travel. Yeah. So you you look up from a project that you're knee deep in editing for what four weeks, five weeks, and then you're just like, fuck, where do all these gray hairs on my beard come from? Yeah, you'll be on set with like a gaffer or something like that, and you're like, oh hey man, yeah, it's what's it been a little bit? What it's been like a month or two? And they're like, no, it's been two years, and you're like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, man, it's crazy. So it's. It's look at us starting the episode with solid advice. Ah, oh, man, see this I'm is a in a really positive mode. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I've got my I've got my coffee over uh, this quarantine. I've gone from just being like a heavy coffee drinker to being like a quality coffee drinker. Got my whole uh, coffee rig. I'm feeling great. This is the best part of my day. You know, I think that's in general. Gene and I were talking about that the other day, where we were talking about the quality of meals that we eat, and since. You know, you can't, you can order in and, and there are some places that are open now, but it seems like everywhere you're going, you're kind of getting like the COVID meal, like the COVID quality meal, which is like, here, it's hot, it's done, here, get it out of here. There's no disease on it. Um, but all of our shit at home has, has uh, improved drastically. So we're having like four or five like epic meals of a fucking week just because we have the time to concentrate on making good food. Uh, so COVID's been pretty solid for that for us, I think. I'm a terrible cook still, but my coffee's better. So <laughs> a little by little. How are you a terrible cook? I'm terrible cook. I hate, I hate cooking. It's not that it's like, I guess I could take time to learn things. I'm just like, I just hate the process. So you talk about it all the time. <laughs> Dude, I truly like it's, I don't get it, man. I hate it. <laughs> I think I just don't have the patience or like, I don't, I, it's probably a, a prep thing, right? Like you're probably like tomorrow I'm going to make this. Today I have to go out and get these things and like prep things early where I'm just like, oh, what do I have that I can make? I'm hungry and I kind of want to eat in like 20 minutes. You know what I mean? And that's every day. Yeah. Well, I mean, what I try to do, because I don't, I'm, I'm in the same boat. Like last night it was the same deal for me because we were in the middle of editing and we were doing a bunch of shit and you look at your, you look at your watch and you're like, fuck, it's eight o'clock. You know, what do I eat? Shit. You know, and then normally you're like, okay, do I want takeout? And then it, in your head you're running through, it's like, am I getting pizza? Am I getting Chinese? Am I getting Thai? Like, what? am I going to get one of those stupid fucking things again? Uh, what I try to do is uh, like Sundays usually or like later in the week, I'll just go to the grocery store and mill through the grocery store and pretend like I'm putting together different meals. So I'll go through and be like, I'm going to grab a steak. I'm going to grab some chicken. I'm going to grab some of this. I'm going to grab all these basic ingredients that I'm just going to fill the cabinets with. So that way, when I have that mode that you're saying, which is like, I'm hungry. I want to open this up. But what do I got? Then I go, oh, yeah, fuck it. I got the frozen chicken breasts and I got this and I got that. and I got that. OK, great. That'll take 15 minutes. Bam. Good to go. So that's good. I, don't know. I, I need to start planning. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to anytime soon. I'm going to be. Right. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> but at least I know I have to do it. I'll get there eventually. Mm-hmm. 
just trying to help you out, Dan. Just trying to make your life better. <laughs> That's it. That's what the show does. That's what the show does. Trying to make your life better. All right, let's get into a little bit of it. Let's pretend like we're professionals on the show. Um, and uh, let's talk a little bit about you and your career. Uh, I met you through David Cruda, and you guys had been working together on on numerous music videos and uh, shot some really beautiful stuff. Um, that's how you started in the in the business, right? Was doing music video stuff? Yeah, so I realized, honestly, last night that my very first music video, I mean, um, so I started my like filmmaking when I was like, I have like the classic, like millennial filmmakers, like backstory where it's like, oh, I, I used to skateboard. And then like in middle school, like we wanted to start filming our skate videos and make jackass videos and like just do stuff. So I got a video camera and when I was like 12 and like I would make skate videos. And then like from there went on to like making like you know, by the time you're like in eighth grade, you're making like backyard, like horror, horror videos. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah um, yeah. With, with your friends, you're going out in the woods with, with fake blood and, you know, weapons <laughs> <laughs> and like somehow not getting arrested. Um, and you're just, you know, throwing stuff together and like doing, you know, I did the, I used to do like the VHS to VHS edits. So I've done yep. that. You know what I mean? I'm not, uh, I think a lot of people my age, like maybe started a little bit later and like didn't have those really annoying early experiences of like being like, all right, I'm going to record on this VCR and then hit play oh. and stop and, and do that whole process, you know? So I, yeah, no, I've totally. been through the high eight stage. I've been through the mini DV stage. I remember like the first time I like saw like HD video on camera, like 720p, I was like blown away. I've been through the, <laughs> the 35 millimeter adapter stage. Yep. Yep. Me too. Um, so like through high school and stuff, like me and my friends would make short films. And then I initially, like, I didn't like the idea of directing. So my, my buddy, Logan, who you've had on the podcast too, and I completely <laughs> forgot about that. I know, dude, you've been a big influence on so this show. If, uh, if there, if you're a, uh, you know, a weekly listener, you know who Logan Pierce is. Um, but we, me and him grew up together. And so he would be like the director and I would be like the DP. So he oh. would like, he would also act in them. Um, mm -hmm. So he would act and direct and like direct our other friends and direct his cousin and stuff like that. And then I would be more like in charge of technical things. And that's what I always wanted to do. So by the time we were uh, going into college and stuff like that, we were like, I would like DP his short films. And mm -hmm. then from there, like my friend's band asked me to do a video and this was about 10 years ago. And they're like a hardcore punk band. They just wanted like a live video and, and I had a camera. So I was like, yeah, sure. Like I'll do it. Like I'm not really directing. I'm just sort of like filming and editing. Mm -hmm. And then from there I like had like this, the feeling of like just doing a quick project that only took like a week to do opposed to like months, you know, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like months mm -hmm. of scripts and planning and rehearsals and all that stuff. Um, I was like, Oh, this is awesome. And then, so from there I like started doing like, videos for my friends bands and like local rappers and stuff like that and then it all just grew from there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then you ended up doing some big stuff and then you ended up getting signed to uh, produ uh, production companies and repped and all that kind of yeah. stuff which so is i think um so 2010 was like when i did my very first one and then i think by like i moved to la in 2014 i signed to a production company and like had a music video agent by 2015 so within mm -hmm. like a year or so being here and then just spent like a few years, the past 
you know, three, three or so years after that, just like grinding through the music video business. And then the past couple of years, just really sort of kind of not necessarily putting that on pause, but just sort of like not, not caring as much about it, not putting as much time into it where like if something comes my way and then I really want to do it, I'll, I'll put some effort in. Mm-hmm. Or if it's like directly for me, I'll try and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, just cause we, you know, I mean, you, we, we could talk all day about the music video business. It's just a fucking grind with very little return. Um, t- t- totally. So, so the past few years have been, um, like professionally just like trying, just going more into the commercial world mm-hmm. and then creatively like being like, okay, like I'm sort of done with spending all of my creative energy all day, all week, spending days writing treatments, like really thinking about things for other people's projects right Mm -hmm. it's like i am like killing myself to do this thing that this person might not even care about i don't want to say that all the time because a lot of people really care about their videos but like a lot of videos i've done it's just like no one cares you know what i mean it's like why it's like why am i why am i doing this for myself so it's like along with the commercial stuff really pushing into the narrative world and here's where here's where we'll 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 dip our toes into of the larger conversation that we had on the prior episode because the prior episode was you and me basically bitching about the music video industry, um, and I think that something to keep in mind when you're doing this and we, and I talked about this in detail on well not in detail but we hinted at it on the Big Black Delta episode where. Um, Jonathan on that episode was talking about 90s brain. He calls it 90s brain and how him and I are about the same age. We're close to the same age, Dan. So we all sort of came up reading books and hearing about these directors that were doing amazing things. They Like David Fincher and all these people like Spike Jones, all these guys that came up essentially in the heyday of music videos. And music videos were at their heyday when MTV was playing music videos. And when MTV was doing TRL, when MTV was doing primetime music video stuff, that was the heyday for music videos. And then after that, once we started to get into um, the internet, once the internet started to kick in and YouTube started up and you had places that you could host videos and they were easy to upload and was easy to share, um, the industry really didn't give it that much credit. They basically were like, you're going to do a piece for the internet. So we're not going to give you a lot of loot. We're not really going to give you a lot of support because it's just for the fucking internet. When the reality of the scenario is when you do a music video for a band that has all of its fans on the internet, you're actually getting a much wider release. You're actually get you're actually getting into the homes of more fans than you would on MTV. And this was something that we learned, me and my old business partner, when we were doing metal and uh, hardcore videos because you would have to wait for Headbangers Ball on MTV. You'd have to wait for the like middle of the night and maybe you would catch a Meshuggah video. Maybe you'd catch a Fear Factory video because most of the day, especially in the early 90s, or, I mean in the early 2000s, most of uh, MTV was either reality TV shit or it was... <laughs> Limp biscuit and fucking corn and all that kind of crap. So, like, if you wanted metal, if you wanted that kind of stuff, there was this little block of time that you would wait for to see it. Once they had their shit on the internet, all of their fans, their fucking thousands and thousands and hundreds and thousands and millions of fans would literally tune in to watch that shit within a day or two days. So, 
uh, the big issue that I ran into, and I don't know if it was the same thing with you, Dan, was that <clears throat> the labels were like, oh, this is just for the internet. It's not a big deal. So we're not going to give you broadcast money. We're not going to make this a big deal. And even in the commercial world, it's the same thing where it's like, eh, it's non-union because it's for the fucking internet. Um, and it really cut our budgets, slashed our budgets like by fucking, I'd say 75%, you know, because of that shit. So it, it ended up becoming a much more difficult justification because any projects that you do, no matter how big or small they pretend like it is, it's always the same. Like I just did a job recently for someone that was like, can you do me a favor? Can you, do, could you whip this thing out? It'd be super quick. I still ran into all the same dilemmas that I would run into if it was a high paid video. And so with music videos, we were finding that um, we would still spend three fucking weeks between the pitch period between the shooting period and the editing period and the revisions on the edit and then returning of the edit. And then at the end of those three weeks, we were literally paying money to do those videos. And so I kind of hit that point personally where I'm like, why the fuck am I doing this? And it sounded like you kind of hit the same thing. I don't want to put words in your mouth, Dan, but is that true? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I caught the music video wave at, at, a, at a pretty different point. So I think... I'm trying to think. I just turned 29. So okay. So by you're the just time, by the time, I think my first, the first time I had a, a music video on MTV was I think in 2011. Mm -hmm. um, and it was like the death rattle of MTV. Like I remember being so excited that was on MTV and then kind of <laughs> realizing later, I was like, oh man, like this is not what it used to be. Right. Yeah, and I, I think it was at a really low point for music video budgets. And then since then, they've definitely climbed back up. But the difference now, I would say, is that before, when you would have TRL, when you would have that one slot on MTV, right, that just get, or that one video that's just going to get replayed, yeah. that, and that's the only place you can see it, you're putting all of your eggs in one basket. You're like, no, we have to hit this one out of the park. We need to get people's attention, right? Like, they yeah. need to remember this tomorrow. And like, keep calling in the TRL to request it or things like that. Or um, now it's like, oh, we're on the internet. We need to just do as much as possible. We need to keep people watching. So instead of taking like one $500,000 budget video, we're going to like break it up into like 20. We're just yeah. going to do it. We're going to do a video for every song on, on the album. That's more. And quantity became more important than quality. Granted, there's still, if you're a big enough artist, you still get both. Um, but I think for the majority of the music industry, it's, it's not really, really like that where their big video, you know what I mean? Uh, the average artist, big video, um, unless you're like a top 40 or like a, you know, a big, like ma super major label artist, mm -hmm. um, your biggest video would be like a, a tiny budget. And, you know, back in the day, sure. It would be sure. like, you know, laughable. Like we can't, we can't even do anything with that. Um, Right. And, and not to dog, not to dog the industry too much. Um, but it also just came down on us creatively where you sort of hit a point where you go, okay, so I, I only have enough money. So if I'm going to do this, I have to literally throw the edit in for free. And that now I only have enough money for this level of resource. And after doing about 10 videos in that game, and hustling in that game for those 10 videos, you sort of realize like, man, there's, there's, there's a fucking plateau here. There's a straight Absolutely. plateau. How many times can you do this? I was thinking about this the other day and I actually had one of my videos pop up in this, like there's this dude called punk rock MBM, uh, MBA on uh, YouTube. Mm -hmm. And he like, just kind of like talks about like, like 
alternative industry stuff and like just the like and he does this compilation he's like why does every 2000s metalcore video look the same and he like <laughs> goes through all the tropes and it's really fun he's like the grassy field and then he like puts my, one of my videos that is in there <laughs> <laughs> I was like, God damn it. And it's like the warehouse, you know what I mean? Like how many fucking times have we shot warehouses? And yeah, you realize it's like you do all these, everyone does the same thing because it's all that can be afforded. Yep. Um, yep. And the problem, and like, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of insanely creative ways to do other stuff on small budgets and you don't need all the gear and you don't need it. I don't care. I don't want to do that. That's not fun to me. Yeah, I want things, exactly. I want toys and I want big, I want set pieces and I want to do like cool stuff. So at a certain point, I'm just like, Dude, yeah, we could just run around with like anamorphics, and I've done that before. But unless it's like the perfect setting to do that, I don't want to do it. Dude, totally. Because what it ends up being is that you like, like if you if we're relating this back to food again, you're essentially just cooking with McDonald's ingredients. Where you're like, okay, exactly. so this is cheap fucking yes. food, and and you have all these visions and training, and you have this new knowledge after you've gone through that, like what five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. If you're like Dale Rage Restanini, fucking a t- like. What, how many videos does he claim he's directed I, at this I point? can't even fucking imagine. That's a dude that's been doing it for so long. Like, I remember all of his videos being on, like, Havoc TV and stuff on, oh. on demand. Yeah, dude. And like, him and I, he's on a prior episode. And if you guys are listening, go back and listen to it. Because Dale um, was our stern competition. So back when I used to do music videos, he was our, he was the competition. 100%. That's right. Yeah, like that Northeastern kind of, like, hardcore metalcore scene. He was yep. doing like like he did the one mad ball video and stuff. I bet you guys yeah. were up for that, right? <laughs> yeah. Dude, we were up for we were out for so many videos and we were just like this motherfucker. Like it was always it always came back to us. It was like, yeah, we just went with Dale. And it was like, well, why'd you go with Dale? And he had I, I won't I won't talk about specifics on air, but he had specific ways of doing his productions where, you know, smaller budget music videos somehow had more money. Cause I think there's a way he was doing it. And so, um, we, I had him on the show. I don't know. Did you listen to that episode? I, did you? I probably have. I probably yeah. heard a few. I, I, I've like had like Insta, like, like passive, like Instagram conversations with Dale and stuff like that. And he, he's super cool. And he's one he's of those a cool dudes dude. Yeah. He's that a cool like dude. early on when you're getting started has like no, has like no like cool guy barrier. Like you could, <laughs> you could just reach out and say something or talk to him. And I remember that being like one of the first like quote unquote like real directors like I've like had a conversation with. And I was like, dude, I used to watch your stuff like your old like hardcore videos like on like whatever. Yeah, like on like on demand and stuff like that. Like I remember that Madball video. Oh, dude, he's great. And and when I did that episode, full disclosure, because there's been a few shows that I've done, that being one. And there's another one. If you guys are fans of the show, you know which one where I've had people on just going like this'll be fun. Like it's, it's kind of that mindset of like, this guy's kind of a, this, this guy's, this guy's kind of a jerk and it's going to be fun showing what a jerk he is. And I had him on the show and he was such a fucking sweetheart and he's such a wonderful dude that I ate my words instantly on that. And I was like, Oh man, you're kind of cool. And it was the only reason why we had any sort of animosity was because we were competition for so fucking long. And there was that long period of competition, but he comes from, he grew up, in the same city that I grew up. So he grew up in Framingham. And then um, he has, and he talks about it on the episode, he had a whole career. He had a whole career as a male stripper. (laughs) Dude, it's fantastic. And so his process of getting into the music industry, and he 
to make it relevant to what we're talking about, he is qual- quantity over quality, and he brags about it. Like, we sat down and had salads out here in Los Angeles, and he was just like, I've done over 1,500 fucking music videos. And I'm like, yeah, half of them suck. <laughs> yeah, baby. I, I realize that a lot of people, it's like, they, they're they very self-aware. They don't care. And it's No, he doesn't give a fuck. Good, yeah. good for them, too, because you re- you realize later, I think, at a certain point, you're like, Dude, why is the, why does this all you know? Why does this guy's video suck? You know what I mean? Like a lot, a lot of people. You're like, well, yeah. what, what's going on? Like they had this awesome artist and this great song, and they just did this. You know what I mean? And you yeah. realize, like, for certain people at a certain level, music videos are their day job. The way that yep. I would go and edit a commercial or like something branded or, or something like that, where I'm just I'm just taking a check. You know what I mean? Like this is what I do. It's like that's music videos for some people. They just they don't care, and rightfully so. That more I agree with that too totally and then what happened um i respect him for it because he's got a such a fantastic reputation at this point he's got a reputation of being able to deliver quality videos at a price he's got a reputation for being able to work with uh celebrities work with talent and really sort of pull these things together because pu- putting together the productions and pulling together production especially at the level that he does on a lot of his shit he's like the michael bay of music video directors and the, the way he pulls that stuff together is insane, knowing how much the money is, knowing what the kind of budget is, knowing the whole deal. Um, but what I fell into as a trap, I got into music videos early on because it was, for me, it was like a passive, like, oh, this would be a good way for me to learn how to do stuff. So I was like, okay, I'll shoot them all. I'll be the cinematographer in all these music videos. I'll get better at cinematography. I'll learn more about lenses. I'll learn more about coverage. I'll learn more about editing which worked really well for me for five years, right? So within that five-year period, you start to like learn your skills, then you start to get a bit of a reputation in the industry, and then you're working with larger acts. But then as it sort of dragged itself on, and I started to hit the eight-year mark, I was like, I'm just hiding in this world at this point. This yes. isn't what I want to do. I'm just hiding in it. Yeah, so you feel like you get stuck there, and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on. I only do this because I wanted to make movies. What am I doing right now? And exactly. You kind of have this, like, you know, but I, you're right. Like ev- everything I know, I know because of all the music videos, right? I know how to deal with clients. I know how to deal with legitimately famous people. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know yeah. How to, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know how to direct sets of like crews of like 30 guys, 40 guys. You know what I mean? Like I understand how to do all that. I understand how to work with every crew member and how to get what I want and, and just all the things like that. Whole, it's basically I didn't go to film school or anything like that. Um, so mm-hmm. like that is that was my film school. You know what I mean? And that's kind of how I learned to sort of like let my, let myself be okay with having been stuck in that world for so long because I would not be I would not have all the the craft that I have without it. That allows me to jump into a commercial world or the film world and just be like, okay, like I'm you know maybe writing, maybe screenwriting is new for me. But like, mm-hmm. I know how to hop on a set and I can make this look exactly how I want and I can get everything I want out of this. Yeah, no, it is. You're right when you say it's a good film school because it is, it's not low stress either. It's it's still pretty high stress and you're, you're still learning under the gun and you're putting it out there. And I think the reason why it's a decent film school is because the honestly, the artists and the labels are so fucking desperate to get shit done and to get shit that looks good because they're not paying for it. So it's a good place to sort of leverage yourself in there. It's truly um, boot camp, yeah. Yeah, and, and so to get that stuff. But just remember, don't fall into the trap that I fell into, which is like b- bitterness, like eight years later. Because 
writing treatments is the fucking worst, especially if you're cold writing treatments, regardless if you have yeah. friends that are in the business or if you're repped. Those like submitting treatments, matters. it sucks, dude. I'm on a and, great production company. I have an amazing music video rep. It can only do so much for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at, at the end of the day, you just, and I've talked about it on the show with Jesse from Kill Switch. Like, these bands are literally getting off stage, sitting on their tour bus, and their manager's like, we need to do a music video. And they're like, oh. And then they hand them a fucking stack yeah. of treatments. And they're just like, I don't want to read this bullshit. Like, uh, who do we know that does music videos? Call that guy up. Yeah, call him up. He's great. We'll hang out with him. And, yeah. and sometimes you're that guy. And that's great. Yeah, when you do get to be <laughs> yeah. that guy, it's, it's fantastic. Sometimes you get to be that guy. Yeah, totally. Totally. So just keep that stuff in mind. But that's that's a peek at what we uh, we uh, talked about in the last episode. That Yeah, uh, I think that took a lot. I think... I think at the last episode, I was like really at like the end point of like writing treatments, and I was like, I'm so done with this. And I kind of, <laughs> it maybe came out a little bit, you know what I mean? All right, it's that time. It's time to show love to the men and women that help support the show. Um, and I'm not just talking about you, the listener. You guys do such a great job of following me and doing all that stuff, which is very important. And like I said, leave a rating for today's show on whatever fucking player you use. Thank you. And I'm really excited because the boys, the guys from Puget Systems who continue, continue to support this show, continue to support me as an artist. Um, I'm fucking really excited because I just got my brand new Puget edit machine. It's awesome. It is the most powerful PC that I've ever owned in my entire life. Think about that, right? And, uh, I know some of you on, if you guys have been following the Instagram, you've seen me posting about it. Uh, and I know a bunch of people are like, okay, so you got a PC, what are the specs? Well, let me just see if I can run you through some specs right now. So the motherboard is a Gigabyte X570 Ultra. The CPU is an AMD. So this is powered by AMD on a PC, which is pretty awesome. Um, I'm going to mispronounce these. This is a Ryzen 9. So it's a 3950X, 3.5 gigahertz, 16 core CPU. Uh, we're running at uh, 64 gigs of RAM. Think about that. The video card is the amazing GeForce RTX 280Ti-XC with 11 gigs of RAM on that fucking thing. The video card is amazing. Uh, let's see what else is interesting about this onboard sound card. Blah, 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 um, this is something that's interesting that we're trying on this system. Um, I've got uh, three internal drives that I'm trying out for editing. And uh, my primary drive is a one terabyte M.2 solid state drive, which I've seen the results of. Let's just say that when I open up Premiere or if I open up Photoshop, it's fucking lightning fast. It's pretty crazy. Uh, the M.2 SSDs are pretty awesome. Uh, and then I have two... Uh, additional drives, I've got a, a four terabyte 
Samsung and a second four terabyte Samsung solid state drive. So what I'm trying on this system is I'm gonna have internal solid state units to see if it'll run the 4K footage faster. Uh, we've been seeing such lightning fast speeds with all that stuff. I think continuously, the only bottlenecking that I continuously run into, and if you're in post-production, you'll understand this, it's Premiere end. So oftentimes, whether we're mixing codecs, we're having audio issues, it's, it always comes down to Premiere one way or another. So the hardware is there, the stuff's running smoking fast, um, and I'm really excited with these guys. Uh, and if you want to build your own, which I highly suggest you do so, go to PugetSystems.com. There you can choose a system based upon the software that you edit with and the software you use, um, and they will offer up a baseline system Right, and then you can customize that specifically, and you could reach out to them and tell them what it is that you're dealing with. This is the money I have. This is what I need. This is what I want, and they will go through the process of finding you the best hardware possible and the best configuration possible for your machine. The thing that's great about Puget Systems is, like, unlike Apple, Puget Systems does not manufacture the hardware. So, what does that mean? That means they have no bias. That means that they're continuously out there looking for manufacturers, hardware manufacturers, who makes the best one, who's got the best deal, how's the best spent, how's the best money best spent for your budget. That's important. So they're never specifically biased on graphics cards or on very specific pieces of hardware. They're always looking for the best thing and they benchmark test everything, right? And like I said, right now I got an AMD in my machine and they're kicking ass with this right they're kicking ass with it um and so go to pugetsystems.com pick yourself up a pc and if you're international if you're someone that isn't from the u.s and you're like fuck these guys don't ship internationally here's the good news uh puget systems also has a consulting program so you can sign up for a consulting program with these guys i think it starts at 500 dollars they will help you build your own system. They will go through and pick out the pieces of equipment, tell you exactly what to buy, how to put it together, go through that whole process, you get it, you put it together. So you're essentially assembling your own Puget Systems PC there. So think about that, 500 bucks for a consultation, that's not a bad deal. And then you can put the PC together yourself. So if you're someone that likes to build your own PCs and you're looking for a real resource, and I'm not just talking about doing like a Google search, be like, what is the best thing for PCs? Because half the time that when, the, when, when manufacturers are saying you should buy this graphics card, it's because that manufacturer needs to sell a warehouse full of those fucking graphics cards. You deal with someone like Puget Systems and they're literally trying out all the different ones because they have no allegiances here. You know what I mean? So I can't say enough good things about them. I love these guys. Go to PugetSystems.com. Also supporting the show, as always, is our buddies over at Quasar Science. One of the best advancements in the film business has been lighting. LED lighting has changed the game. And so if you watch anything on Amazon and you're like, or Netflix, and you're like, fuck, man, this stuff looks so great. It's because of LED lighting. LED lighting not only produces amazing light and colors, um, but it also changes the way you produce things because... LED lighting doesn't require as much power, which means you don't necessarily need generators, which means you don't necessarily need as many people on most productions. Not all productions, but on most productions. 
So it makes things happen a little bit faster. It gives you more control in your hands. Um, it's a really cool thing. Now on a micro level, if you're a video producer, if you're a photographer, and you're asking me, Mike, what do you have in your kit? What should we buy to have a very basic kit? I'll tell you what, there's a bunch of different things you can buy. I have tungsten units. I have all sorts of different stuff, but I do have, for a fact, multiple tubes from Quasar Science. Uh, and they work really well, whether it's the bicolor tubes or whether it's the rainbow LED units. Go to quasarscience.com, check them out. You'll see what I'm fucking talking about. Uh, also, uh, as supporting the show, as always, are our good buddies over at Industry Jump. If you are looking for a place to find mentors, if you're looking for a place uh, to advertise your work, to look for clients, I highly suggest you head on over to Industry Jump. You can either go there on Instagram at Industry Jump or go to industryjump.com. Um, they're, they're a great resource uh, for filmmakers. Um, so if you're not getting what you like from me, like if you're looking for a place that's a bit cleaner that's not saying fuck every five seconds, I would go over to Industry Jump. I just went over there recently and I took their Safe Sets COVID certification. Um, they have a link for it over at Industry Jump, uh, and I went through and got myself certified on understanding how to be safe on sets. Now, what does that do ultimately? Ultimately, you get a certificate saying that I've done the research. So you might want to check it out. Head on over to industryjump.com. Okay, let's get back to it with Dan. What uh, what's what's new with you, man? Like, what are you working on these days? What are you doing? Um, so, uh, like I was saying earlier, like like you know, everyone has a lot of directors have their like quote unquote like day jobs, right? I do a ton of editing. Um, you know, I have friends who are producers. I have a lot of editor friends who are all directors. Keep in mind, they're all like rep directors, but they, you know, you got to pay the bills. Um, so the COVID stuff is like starting to. I was saying this before we started recording how like production right now is like Jurassic Park, like life finds a way. These <laughs> companies have, they've, they're like, let's just, we're, we're going to fucking make something. Right. So like a lot of what's being done right now are like, I'm working on this show for Nickelodeon. We just did like overnight edits on it. Um, mm. for, like multiple. And I'll probably do another one tonight because it's like they shoot on Tuesday. They air it on the network, like on TV on Saturday and wow. like for editors, we're just like two teams passing a baton back and forth. Like, boom, boom, boom. Let's just get, get this done and get it out because they're filming it all through Zoom. So oh like God. it's oh all God. and like the director, um, you know what I mean? Like, and this is probably so many directors right now. I don't know if you've had to do it yet, but like directing through Zoom. Uh -huh. into, like, I, I, yeah, it's I just did a commercial that was directed through Zoom, too, um, that I edited. And it's just like, oh, man, like more power to you guys. I have no interest in doing that. Dude, it, the funny the funny thing is, is that years ago, so prior to COVID, years ago, um, we came up with a system because we had to do, uh, we did a commercial for, what was this company? It's a company called Unreal, which basically was like one of oh, those, like, yeah. expose, expose uh, counterfeit, expose, you know, tobacco, that kind of shit. Oh, never mind. I thought you meant like Unreal Engine or something. No, <laughs> yeah, no, no, cool. no, 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 that'd have been, that'd have been rad. But no, it was a smaller company. And I remember the, the treatment came into us from a, um, 
from an agency and the agency was like, we don't have a ton of loot. We don't have a ton of cash, but what we need to do is we need to interview these kids that have been affected by this kind of stuff. Um, and they're like, but they're all over the country. There's a kid here and there's a kid here. There's a kid here. And this was before zoom. This was before Skype was still Skype was Skype was around and yeah, Skype was definitely around. And, um, so they said to us, like, we don't know how to do it. I don't know if we just ship one of you guys out and you fly around with a camera and you do all this stuff. And uh, I basically was like, why don't we do this? Buy two iPhones, ship two iPhones, and we'll have one that has FaceTime on it and one that's going to be recording like an iPhone because it'll look like that. And then I'll just direct them over FaceTime and then we'll record the piece and have them ship the stuff back to us. And we did that probably like six years ago. So it it worked out really fucking well, but directing in that scenario was fascinating. It's like, how do you get someone that has no camera sense to set up a camera, get up, set up a fucking shot, how to go through that whole process? Fast forward to now where everybody's doing the laptop, the Zoom thing, and then without giving too much away, I'm helping Gina out. Gina just secured a really great deal um, for a big act over at Disney. And so she's doing six music videos plus photo shoots all remotely. Amazing. Um, doing stuff with GoPros and everything else. And, and we've been figuring out tricks and techniques to make it look different because one of the big issues, whether you're watching like Conan O'Brien or you're watching, uh, what was the other fucking show? Oh, that new show with uh, the dude from <clears throat> Always Sunny on Apple there. Oh, uh, Mythic Quest. With Mythic Rob Quest. Yeah. yeah, his last episode was also done through Zoom. Everybody looks, all of them look the same. And so we're trying to process it in a new way visually so that way it just doesn't look like stuff shot through a laptop, which is interesting. So um, it's a nightmare. <laughs> you think that, like, do you think that, I mean, like, put yourself in, in the shoes of somewhat, like, of this happening to someone. Um do you think that like there was like a couple like maybe like smaller like horror features or maybe even like a romantic comedy feature or something like that that was like prepped and ready to like go mm-hmm. right before all mm-hmm. this happened and they like mm-hmm. they still were like locked maybe they like had contracts with actors or something like that where they're like no we only have them for those three months and the second that's over they're out of the contract we have to pay them anyway or whatever that is called mm-hmm. I forget what kind of contract and they're like oh shit okay it's found footage now we're gonna do it all we're gonna do this whole film this is now uh over webcam horror film we're like okay romantic comedy they're online dating and they meet on they only skype like we gotta just change everything like i'm wondering if that's happened now i hope someone can confirm this for me who hears this, i'm sure dude i'm sure i had to have right and they're like i'm Fuck, sure okay. <laughs> Um, dude, I'm totally sure about it. And and the thing that's really interesting as we transition into that, um, and Liam, side note, as we go through this, are you still there, buddy? Yes, I am. All right. So I'm going to say some names, and you're going to beep them out. <laughs> Copy. I love it. All right. So side note, um, we were ready to go with uh, who's there like right before. So we were like, we had interest, we had people, we were ready to go out for financing right before. Um, and then COVID shit happened. Um, and sort of, we're now dealing at this point with a bunch of really interesting stuff. So it's actually really exciting, Dan. You and I haven't caught up in a while. So as you know, we teamed up with... Uh, yes. Right? So... 
is producing, who's there. Very and, awesome company. Uh, very awesome company. They uh, worked with us on a draft of the script, so we went through the whole process of writing a brand new version because they had a lot of really great ideas. And the reason why I like this company and the reason why those of you listening, even though it was beeped out, you should still have a nerd boner for this. They love horror and they make some of the coolest fucking riskiest horror films that are that are made right now. Um, we uh, went back to the to the script phase with them and sort of reworked the script and did all that sort of stuff. Once they were happy with it, we then had to wait around to go out again because essentially once you have a production company assigned to your film, then you can then go out to financiers or studios and the studios will, you have a better chance of getting a studio to back your movie if you have a solid production company with a track yeah, record on they're it. They're tried and true at this point. They're just putting exactly. on. It, it seems to me, uh, I don't, okay, I'm, I'm trying to like rephrase everything without giving anything away. But it seems like every release that they've had the past few years, it's like boom, boom, boom. Like every, like you're seeing all of them. You're seeing all of them pop up within like exactly. the industry and within like just film fans and, and horror fans especially. Exactly. So then this was interesting, right? So we go through the process of um, now having a new script, now having them fully committed and fully fully excited about it. Um, we then go out to studios with it. And uh, one of the things that I've been learning about studio access through your agents and through your management is that they try every way possible. So they will send it, instead of sending it directly to like a place like they may send it to another director or another production company that has a first look deal with someone like to get them interested in it and then push it up there so we went through this really crazy process yeah dude so, so we like, went through this they yeah, would yep. so bleep would um yeah. basically be like a co be a co-production with another production company who has a direct line to a studio with a first look or something like that. So you're going right, you're teaming up and going right to the source. Potentially. Okay. So it went out a bunch of different ways. So with the production company that we teamed up with, they have relationships with different financiers that have done their stuff prior to this. And so they were like, hey, boom, we'll send it to those guys. Plus we'll send it to a bunch of other folks. Now my management has relationships with different execs at different studios. So they're like, we'll send it out to these execs. And then the agent has relationships with a bunch of different people. So he'll send it out to those people. So essentially when, if you weren't in COVID time, what would happen once you have all your script ready and everything's ready to rock, they would essentially make a strategy, make a plan, Getting, getting all those guys to talk is like herding cats. But once they do talk, they make a plan, they make a strategy, and then they pick a day, and then it goes out. And so for, we were going to do that pre-COVID, um, but then we had to wait through the whole COVID thing. And so then we recently did it post-COVID, which was crazy, and it went out to a bunch of different spots. And then the, the, the reading process now takes months because people are like homeschooling kids. They're doing all sorts of different shit. They're, they're dealing with the stress of, of like social issues and, and cop cars being burned outside their fucking houses. Like all that kind of shit is, is a factor in the approval process and reading process. But one of the things that happened was that we wanted to try to get with 
And like I said, Liam, we're going to bleep these. So we wanted to try to get with. And they sent it through. Interesting. And, and so I had prior. prior sorry met- to everyone who asked me just be guessing right now because <laughs> if i was on the <laughs> other end of this i'd be texting you like dude what, what company was it <laughs> <laughs> so prior to this i had met with when we had done the 12 cam route and we had sort of run around with 12 cam and that company that the exec over there was super bummed because he's like we wanted it but that 12 cam went in with instead of them so now fast forward to they've written the script with us we've sort of put this thing together now we go out with them behind us and it goes out and it goes into the offices of again but instead of going it goes all the way up to the top of the chain because unbeknownst to us have always been talking and always wanted to team up on something and so now it goes into the office under that guy's he reads the new draft of the script, which is substantially different than the original, reads the new draft of the script, and he's like, this is interesting, plus I've always wanted to work with you guys, plus we've already met Mike, and he thinks he, we think he's cool, so this is interesting, I'm going to send it to which is like apparently very difficult to have happen. I would imagine, I would imagine that's not an easy thing to do. Dude, and so they send it up. So it gets sent up the ladder to him and he reads it and he gets back and he goes, I love it. This reminds me of, this reminds me of this movie that we were going to do. I have some notes. I have some changes, but we fucking love this and we'd like to be interested and attached to it. I love, I love that story. I love that. Isn't it, isn't it crazy? So the, the fascinating the lesson to be learned here amongst all these different beeps <laughs> <laughs> that you guys have to hear because I don't want to ruin our chances of having things made is that no matter how good you are, no matter how hard you work and you need to, you need to work hard and you need to develop your craft and you need to do all that stuff. It is still a names game. A hundred percent still a name game. Yeah. There's two left. There's that's the cost of doing business. Right. But it's also on the flip side of that. I think it's kind of proof that like the cream rises to the top. Right. Like mm-hmm. that story, like made you know what I mean. Like your guys' story, the script made its way up because it was it was good. So it's like it, it naturally like made its way up. It hit a couple of snags, but like it's it got there. It got to where it needed to be, right? Or it's 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 almost there. It's it's getting close. So that's, that's um, it's crazy, right? I love I love that. It's, it's super exciting news, dude. And and you know the super excitement of it. And we'll see how much of this we're going to leave in the episode. Later. <laughs> the, super, the, the super excitement. Just one big like leap and then it's like, oh, that's, that's super exciting news. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but the super excitement about it was literally being on that Zoom call. So there was a Zoom call between the meeting of these two giant uh, giants in the horror world and having them on that, that, that call and sort of listening to them the execs from each one of those companies talk about the elements of each of their stuff that they really like. And to hear them say like, we've always wanted to do stuff like you and to hear the reasons why, you know, I was looking up at them and going, we've always wanted to hit a broader audience and you guys are really good at that. And so it was a really fascinating thing to be a part of and then to be in the middle of, of it, which I thought was a lot of fun. 
because essentially I was, you know, jokingly, I was like, it's like, it's like I'm meeting my parents for the first date. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, it it was, it was kind of fast. It was a really cool call last week. Um, And so crazy to think that that is happening during all of this. Dude, it's nuts. It's It's like this little gleam of hope amidst all this chaos in this city right now. Well, and, and now we're at the point where um, everybody knows that it's going to happen. And the only reason why it wouldn't happen is if there was some sort of catastrophic event like COVID. Um, but uh, they all think it's going to happen for sure. And so now we're just sort of nailing down um, the best possible film, period. And I think the reason why I'm still so happy about it, so excited about it, is that even going through all these different rewrites, Every time that we've gone back, the films got better. And every time that we've got notes from uh, these studios or these production companies, rather, um, they've made the film better. And, and which I was always afraid of because when listening to this stuff for the first time, you're like, um, so they're going to they're gonna ruin my fucking script. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of the mindset that most filmmakers have when you start to get into yeah. studios and stuff where it's just like, oh, they're going to ruin my fucking script. With these production companies that we've been interacting with, uh, I've been pleasantly surprised. Like pleasantly surprised. And at, that, like, go ahead. I was gonna say, and now, like, how excited are you that you have Company One and Company Two and Company Three now? Not literally Company Three, but the third company that was leaked. <laughs> um, but you have this team now, so you have this like snowball energy, and now the talent that you can get attached. Is going to be way different than the talent you could get attached three months ago, which Hell is yeah, just dude. going to make everything better. You know what I mean? How like that's that's crazy. It's Hell just crazy yeah. how that play can play out. You know what I mean? And it's pay it's patience. I think that the the thing that I've had to learn, and I think that Will has to learn, the two of us have to deal with this all the time is patience. And we all know this as you write ideas and as you come up with an idea, if you go to sleep and you visualize this thing. You get really fucking excited. Yeah, you get fucking amped. You want to, you're like, I can, I can literally step on set tomorrow. I'm ready to go. Yep, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And then what you don't realize, because at this point, who's there? I think we're on year three going on four. So, and then if you look at, if you look at 12 cam, it's like year eight, something like that. So it, it's time. It, it literally takes time. And you know, coming at the industry without, I, I guess the story that you're following with us and with me is that I'm literally coming into the industry without connections and I'm coming in the industry fueled off of the work. So as those of you that are at home going, do I do a proof of concept? Do I make a short film? This is the trajectory of that. This is busting your ass, making something really good, doing it, pulling your friends together, making a really great film, and then what happens next? And just because you make a great film, do you get it into film festivals? Fuck, it can't get into film festivals because it's too too long of a running time. Now what? Now how do I fucking progress beyond there? What you're seeing here with what's happening, and I know a lot of people are impatient. I know a lot of you guys at home are like, what the fuck, Mike? Why are you beeping out what movies this are? We're really excited about it. I'm sorry, that's part of the process. Um, But... It has taken this long. And it's I, not because we've been lazy. It's just literally how fucking long it takes to get through this stuff. 
I feel like I'm at the very starting point of your of that whole story. I, really? As of so, I I've been focused on narrative for about I'd say like a year and a half now. So I have a co-writer, my buddy Matt, um, who I think we have a very similar relationship to how you and Will do things. Where like me and mm-hmm. him will will come up, one of us will come up with an idea. We'll kind of whether it's like just a setting, and then we figure out what we want to do in that setting, or it's an event that happens, and we want to figure out what the story is around that. There's always obviously some type of starting point. We'll get to the point where we go through the entire story together. We beat out everything, right? Every single step of the story we do together. And then he kind of takes it from me um, and just goes and like does the actual screenplay for it. And then we just go through notes and notes and notes um, with each other like that. So I guess in the past year and a half, we have, we did two features Mm -hmm. um, and one series, which the series, and uh, this is the part where I'm going to start, you have to start bleeping stuff for me too. Um, Sure. As of literally today, um, I'm like, we're officially done all of our pitch materials. So we have our Bible, we have our pilot, we have some other pitch materials, sadly not a proof of concept just because we can't, there's nothing, we can't be filming, you know what I mean? Past few months. (laughs) So like, it's, it was like one of those things where like, well, fuck that. Like us and like this producer we've been working with, um, who's going to be helping us take it out. We're like, well, fuck that. There's no point in waiting. Like, let's just do something to, to go along with this. So we made like some pretty cool extra material, extra pitch materials with it. Mm-hmm. And I believe next week on Monday, the producer's taking it out to um, at the first place it's going that we're planning on is please. Like uh, that. They're great. They're, they're great. And I bet you, yeah, I'm sure you know people over there. It's not going to their production side. It's going to their management side. Okay. So mm-hmm. that's like, this is like the first time that anything I've ever written down or come up with is like going out to anyone. That's great. So it's like pretty terrifying, pretty exciting. Not really, you know what I mean? Like, but I, I feel like I've been so, it's funny because it's like, I've been so burned by like the pitching process of music videos. Like it beats you down so hard that like literally just like being able to send something, knowing that someone will probably read it within a few weeks is like, a, like that's, that's all I could ask, man. Cool. You looked at it, you opened it. Great. Dude, and congratulations. Like, that's, yeah. that's, and dude, it's important that you celebrate those little steps. It really is because yeah, those it little feels like a big one. Yeah, yeah. It's dude. like the door has kind of been open that now I know I can do this. I have like I have a door open to to send you know to send some stuff. Dude, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And it, like if you're celebrating those little moments, because what happens for us or what happened for us is that we would get excited. You know, like. Um, what is it now? Four years ago, it's like holy shit! This the twelve cam got to this guy. Oh my god! This is get. This is where it starts to go, and this is where it starts to snowball, and then it stalls for fucking six months. Yeah, which I for, expect, for which I fully expect, and I think we've gotten. We're pretty good. Uh, me and Matt are pretty good at sending this off and forgetting like it exists. Right, yeah. the second that email goes out. I don't I, like. I've forgotten about this project. We're, when we jump to something else, and we just try and get another one, so that when they go, "Hey, we actually hate this, but we kind of like it." Do you have anything else? We go. Here's some other stuff. So you guys wrote. You don't have to get specifics, but you guys wrote a series. You is it like a streaming service series, or is it like a yeah? It, series? Uh, it would. It's it's written as a limited series. Just eight as episodes. A limited series. Okay. 
That's interesting. See, Eight hour ones. I've been dealing with some of that too because we have a couple of other pitches that are going out right now and that have been going out. And um, we had a, a, a series pitch that went out um, and with one of the companies that we're dealing with and they got back to us and they're like, this is a really good idea. These guys are interested. We should develop the series. And then they were very honest with me and they're like, Mike, are you are you uh, seeing yourself as the director for this series? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> of course. And they're like, well, that's probably not going to happen. And for TV, it's not going to happen for a couple of reasons. One, uh, no one knows who your name is. Two, you haven't done a feature yet. You haven't proven yourself yet. So be prepared to, if you guys put this out now, be prepared that you're not going to be able to direct it and that you may become a series creator on the show. You might get a paycheck on the deal. Um, but you essentially won't have any control over the aesthetic and the visual aesthetic or anything like that just because you don't have that history on it. So, yeah, I've I, kind of been, I, I've like had, I mean, I've had those conversations and I've had that like acceptance where it's like, you know what? I, I understand and I'm kind of fine with it. And I think the being okay with it on my end, as much as I would want to be the director on all of it, I do understand someone's logic, but I'm also like, I'm confident enough in where I'm heading with things that it's like, all of this, all of this is going to do is open up more doors. If this, totally. if, if totally. it does get to happen, it's a great paycheck and it's just going to open up more doors where I can direct the next thing. You know what I mean? It's totally still a huge dude. step. And dude, there, there's, this is just what I heard. So it'd be nice to hear something different. So as you go through this process, it'd be really cool to hear that it, that it happens a different way. And there are those outliers, man, like the Duffy brothers that did stranger things, they were rejected over and over and over and over again, because people were like, you don't have the credits. You don't have the thing. We're not going to do this. And it took, honestly, it took belief by their management and their agent team. It took belief by the people that were promoting them, it took belief by the producer that attached uh, himself to it to continuously push these guys and, and really hammer it home for it to happen. And I think they actually had a feature prior to it. So that helped them get in there. But television is a lot different than movies. Um, it's a, it's not easier to do it for a film, but you have better legs to stand on, especially in the, um, in the genre that you and I love, which is the horror genre. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and this is a horror series. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, they like, we have we have a little bit more room in there because of the legends that have come prior to us with no accreditation. You know, you're looking at the Sam Raimi's, you're looking at all these different guys. That still seems to work. Horror is horror. So yeah, concept is kind of king in our genre yeah. to some extent. Where it's like, totally. fuck it, it's a it's a good idea. It's a cool idea. That's what matters. Totally, totally. So fingers crossed, man. That's fucking great news, dude. Yeah, really I, cool. I, I I feel really good about it too. Um, and it's again, like, I don't, you know, I obviously don't want to jinx anything, but Hey, well, it's, it's good to talk about these things. Yeah, dude. And, and it's good to like understand. And if you have any questions along the way, if you have any, obviously I'm for sure, probably just that off the second that we're off the record, I'm going to ask you a million things. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. dude. It's fine. Like, cause I'm, I'm still learning along the way. And one of the reasons I'll say it again, one of the reasons why we're beeping out a lot of this, and there might be there might be large sections of that conversation missing, just so that my big fucking mouth yeah, does not ruin <laughs> any chances. Another episode down the drain. 
<laughs> we'll just have like big sections pulled out uh just so my big mouth doesn't ruin any of the chances for this but it's exciting and i like i'm really excited to share these things with you guys and i've been wanting to share these things with you guys but it's all timing and it's all you know yeah. it's all a thing I, I think um so like yeah the screenwriting thing is like that's like the newest muscle i'm trying to work out because it's like like i was saying before I know how to be on set. I know how to get the look I want. I know how to get the set I want. I know how to do to do all those things, right? But like screenwriting, getting down like this con- giant concept is is new to me. So just kind of like learning a lot the past year and like understanding like I feel like it's kind of finding what works for you, right? And like the process that works for you is probably it's probably different for so many people where Mm-hmm. Uh, I have friends that are like very emotional when they write, you know what I mean? They need to be like in a kind of like emotional state and really put their, like put themselves into it. And I feel like kind of the opposite where I have this like almost like mathematical, like I, I feel like I'm doing math, like I'm just plugging in things, new equations. I feel like when I'm writing and when I'm going through an outline, I'm essentially just running a simulation and just mm-hmm. letting things play out where it's like, okay, well, here's this character and they have these traits. Here's this character and they have these traits. Um, and we're going to put them here and I'm going to hit play and then let's see what happens. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, no, that character wouldn't do that. They would do this. Oh, but if that happens, you know, and then, you know, if you have like an event that you want to happen, you have to like reverse engineer it. And then you might go all the way back to the start and be like, all right, well, this character has to be this way then if we want that to happen later. Totally, and I just totally. feel like I'm just running like every draft is like simulation after simulation, try after try just to kind of like, get the results that you that you want yeah it's wild man it's and it i feel that this is something that i've been personally feeling as far as storytelling goes so i've been pretty restricted on my extent of storytelling because i've only been working in short medium so i've been working in small small pieces and for me when i work in that medium it's like jump into the action try to cram as much as I possibly can in or feel a tone or build a tone and build a vibe. And that's, that's where I've been playing and that's music videos. That's commercials. That's all that stuff is that, is that realm. The thing that really excites me and I'm sure the same for you, the thing that excites me about uh, feature stuff and longer format stuff is that we sort of get to examine character arcs. We get to examine the discovery process of characters. We get to examine um, the pacing uh, uh, excitement that happens here. And one of the things that I've learned from Will, because Will is substantially a better screenplay writer than I am, and uh, he's completely focused on it right now. He's killing it right now. He's uh, actually, here's another bleep. He's, uh, he just got hired to write the, um, the new version of Dude, that's fucking up. Will, that's awesome, man. Yeah, if he's like, this, if you're listening, that's awesome. Yeah, he's rebooting that. And but, so, dude, so sick. <laughs> I love that. I love that. How, how cool is that? So, um, and that's definitely getting bleeped. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's for sure. I don't, yeah. That, that's going to be the title I'm of this episode. Dude, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just, ah. re, the redacted episode. The redacted, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, like, I'm just excited to see that movie now. Like, I'm just like, damn. Okay, well, the, the fact that I know that that's happening, I just want to see it. <laughs> yeah. So he's doing that, which is super cool. Oh, but one of the yes. things, one of the things I really learned from him, 
uh, besides like how to be a great screenplay writer and how to deal with producers and how to craft emails and all that kind of stuff, which is like invaluable. Um, but he does a really good job um, maintaining uh, characters' motivation. He does a really good job with the story arcs uh, and the emotional arcs of characters. He does a fantastic job with dialogue. He's really great at that stuff. My strengths have, are kind of similar to your strengths, which is like I'm a director first. Yes, and exactly. so for me, it, it's outline, it's structure, it's it's sequences, it's um, scenes. And for me, when I examine this stuff, I think that sometimes Will and I sort of um, check each other where he'll come and go, this doesn't feel like something that would happen in real life. And I have to further explain to him, like, I get it. That's a great mindset to be in. And that's an important mindset to be in as we're writing these things. But my mindset is I'm creating an experience for the audience. So just because that wouldn't happen that way in real life doesn't mean I'm not allowed to do it. And I'm going to do it that way because I like the reaction that the audience gets with the contradiction of that scene prior to the last scene, prior to the next scene. So if a character overreacts in this sequence, uh, because it makes the audience experience better, then you know I'm going to do that. Just because that character wouldn't do that in real life, that would be a sin that we didn't go down that path to do that for that moment. Does yes. that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And like sometimes you're like, no, 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 I want it to happen this way. So let's track back, you know, 10 pages and be like, how do we set this up now? Because yeah, it might be the smallest adjustment you make, you know what I mean? Like a little bit before. And then you go, okay, now this makes sense. Now this works. And it didn't affect anything, but now we can add that moment. Now we can to do that. Totally, totally. I want, you know, oh, I want this guy to fucking, like, I want this guy's head to fall off here. It's like, well, that wouldn't happen. It's like, well, it would happen if there was this thing that they walk by, you know what I mean? Like earlier or something sure. like that. And I, I kind of have this, like, it almost feels like a puzzle to me. It's really hard for me to get started, but once we have like all the pieces down, then it feels like I have a puzzle. And I'm like just trying to solve it and trying to problem solve. And that's sort of how I, I handle it. Yeah, totally, dude. And smart. I don't know if you do note cards, but on some stuff I'll do note cards and lay note cards out and look through the whole thing and start editing with note cards and, and just sort of go through it and be like, okay, how does this play and how does this play? And then you go from like, I feel like when I was younger dealing with story, I would think of good situations. And it was always situational where I was like, this is a cool thing. Like, it'd be cool if this happened and this happens. But now, um, how do you take those situations and make them into a good screenplay? How do you make them into a good, yeah, just, we a were just good dealing with story, that. you know? We, we just, I was, there was this one thing. Well, we started, it's, it's interesting because it's kind of like your method where I'm, I'm taking from you a little bit where it's like, let's do the proof of concept first. So we were, mm -hmm. a, a lot of stuff that we were throwing around were just literally short films. I'm like, what can be this awesome fucking short film that we can attach a feature to? And I just had this one scene and I'm like, I really want the short to be this one scene. So we yeah. have to make a whole feature around this one scene. And it was such a painstaking process to figure out how the fuck to get it all to work within like relatively within like the real world. Like how do you get those characters in that position for that to happen the way we want it to happen and just building completely around that. And it took so long to like get everything right. And then you're like putting hats on hats, trying to figure out, figure it out and like make it work. And then mm -hmm. you just like 
pull everything away and you're like, nope, let's just keep it simple. Straight to, you know, and eventually you figure it out. And it took us months, but we just all because we wanted this one sequence, this one set piece. Dude, totally. And then something that we just ran into um, was that we went through, I would say, probably a year's worth of writing to find a way to make our ideas work. So how do we logistically make all these ideas that we have, all these sequences that we want to do, how do we have them all make sense? How do we suspend disbelief? How do we go through this whole process? And then we do that. So we do that entire process. We create a draft that makes sense. It makes sense to us. It's something that we're very excited about doing. And then you turn that draft in and you're confronted with the realities of Hollywood. So then you're confronted with like... um this is too complicated. This sequence here feels too complicated to us. Can we simplify the sequence? And you're like, fuck what? How is that complicated? Well, it's just not smooth enough. It doesn't, it doesn't flow right for us. And then you sort of go through the pro- further examination on it. You go, well, what do you mean by that? And you go, oh, you can't explain it in the trailer. So you literally can't explain the steps in the trailer. Interesting. So that, that's your fucking hang up fascinating and so then because we're dealing with these two different companies right so you're dealing with uh once again beep you're dealing dealing with who comes from the indie level right and those guys and the reason why i love them so much is that they're horror fans at their at their core they create movies for fans they create movies because they're fans of horror and they had the ability to do so with their first bunch of releases where they're like Fuck the system. We're going to make these movies the way we want to make these movies. So let's do it that way. But the side effect of that is that that reaches a very limited audience. So you look at some of their releases and how the releases are put out because they're staying true to the values of that film, because that film is staying honest and true. And we all love those films and we respect those films. And those films go on to inspire all these other directors, but they're just not crafted in such a way that they can be easily explained in the trailer. Interesting. And so that, it really limits them. And so the power of working with that production company is that they have that experience. And so when they have a conversation with us, and they're really good at this, and I love these guys for it, they have a conversation with us and they go, we completely agree. We completely agree that what you've written is the right way to do it. We completely agree as horror fans that what it is that you want to do is the correct way of doing it. But... Here's our experience. Here's what we've gone through and we've done it prior to you guys and we've celebrated it and we've supported the filmmaker and we've gone through the process and we just expected, like you, expected like good stuff will prevail. The quality will prevail. And then you start to see how many screens it gets released on or how many people are put down to purchase it and you're seeing the restrictions at that point. So they're coming at it at a new angle with us and, and what I'm trying to do with them is like, guys, can we take the knowledge that you're giving us? Can we take the knowledge that the other end of the spectrum, which, which is the other company is giving us, and can we try to make some sort of bastardized baby child between the two where if we make the trailer meet work, if we make the stuff very simply uh, digested in the pitch and then interject all that goodness that you guys have in there, then we're going to make a hybrid that not only feels like it, it, it exists at your level, but will be seen by a larger audience. 
Um, because you think about all the films that those guys have made, I can ask average Joe Citizen whether or not he's seen them, and he'll be like, what the fuck is that movie? I don't know what that movie is. And it's like, it's an amazing film, and if you watch it, you're going to fucking love it. But the only reason he doesn't know about that movie is because the distributors couldn't make a very simply put-together advertising campaign for it. Um, let's change the let's, let's change the subject. Yeah, totally fine. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so... You were just saying offline as we were dealing with technical difficulties. You, what did you just got a PC? You PC I now? Just, just got a PC. I was a Mac guy for ten years. Just got a PC last month, and it's awesome. Hell yeah! Did you build I, one yourself? Uh, I bought a pre-built one, but like the dude was like some like super gamer, so it was like really like decked out with everything. You know what I mean? It fucking looks cool. It's got like mm-hmm. the clear side, and, mm-hmm. you know, super crazy graphics card and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I just kind of, dude, I'm just like, you know what I mean? Like the power that it comes with is just, it's awesome. Like, I mean, I was talking to my buddy who's a feature editor and he was even like, dude, like with the new premiere, there's a new premiere beta version that's out right now. And he was yeah. like, with that, with that and like editing on a PC, he was able to like render out his feature. And I think he said like six minutes because that's you can crazy. render off your GPU Yep. He was like, dude, I did a whole feature, like the whole rough cut, and like, like I it bounced out in six minutes. And I was dude. like, fuck, that's awesome. And I've been doing a lot of like three D stuff. I've been playing around a lot of three D stuff, so I needed like the extra power. Yeah. No, totally, man. I just, I just, and this sounds like it's an advertisement, but it's not. But it just no, so happens it's also <laughs> yeah. sponsored the show. But I just got my new Puget two days ago, so it's awesome. It's fucking smoking. And uh, you know, just the rendering alone, I I did a render and I was like, fuck. And then it's uh, we've got multiple solid states. We also have M.2 solid state for the main drive. And holy shit, the thing cranks. Um, and it's, it's pretty cool, man. And when you look at the price tag for it, as opposed to if I was doing it from um, an Apple standpoint or a Mac standpoint. It would be insane. It would be so insane. It'd be ins- it, I, I would have been in the $13,000 range. Yeah, for sure. And like, I, just, I like that, like, all right, in a year I can just get a new graphics card if I want. And just mm-hmm. put it like, you know what I mean? I can like, I can, it's like the, oh man, I forget the name of it. Like, it's like a Greek ship uh, analogy. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about? Where like, I can slowly piece things out and eventually sure. have a computer. Yeah, or totally. the same computer. Yeah, totally, dude. You know, I mean, sans having to replace a motherboard, but even if that's the scenario, then replace the motherboard. Who cares? Yeah, the exactly. Hard drives all exactly. stay the same. Yes. Like it's, it's not a big deal. I, and I, I, can I love game it. Now. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I was just saying offline to Liam, like one of the things, because I have such a beefy graphics card in this system that it really, I'm not taking advantage of. Uh, so I just downloaded some video games last night. Yeah. I was, I was playing, <laughs> I was playing control. Have you played control? I have not. I'm like, dude, this sounds crazy. I haven't owned a, like a, a video gaming system or played video games since like PlayStation two. Dude. So like my friends are like, dude, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, yo, video games are awesome. Like I feel like I feel like I'm like catching up on the last 20 years of gaming. You know what I mean? I'm like, this looks insane. Well, I'm in the same boat, man. For me, it was even further. I haven't owned a I haven't owned a video game system since PlayStation One. And when I played PlayStation One, it was uh, no, maybe it was PlayStation Two. It was PlayStation Two because that was uh, Final Fantasy VII, and that was uh, Resident Evil Two was when I was really sort of into it. What was that PlayStation 1? I don't fucking know. Um, but that was the last time I did it because 
video games sort of take so much time and take me out of the world that when I was pushing really hard to direct and make movies and stuff like that, I just didn't have the time to do it. Um, and I've been dipping my toes in ever so slightly now because I, <laughs> I'm still afraid of that same scenario where it's like, I, yeah, I've been playing a lot of Call of Duty. I've been playing a lot. I've been playing a lot of fucking Warzone. But it's like the, it's like a good chance to just like hang out with my friends and like shoot the shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it's, yeah. It's really, it's really what it is. But also like because I like really, I've been really diving into like the 3D world and like the VFX world and just kind of like learning how to do all that stuff. Like, how do I have you know? How do I go film like a blank landscape or something like that with my with my talent? I have a talent. I have, I have my small crew, and I have like a big field. It's like, okay, well now I, I'm learning, like I can literally add like a fucking castle back there and like mountains mm-hmm. in the background and make it completely photorealistic. You know what I mean? Like, so just trying to learn how to do all that. And I realized like everything that goes into that. Mm-hmm. And now when I'm playing video games, obviously it's not the same as like, um, you know, if I'm watching a film and watching like insanely rendered out VFX, but just playing a game and being like, holy shit like they did so much it's like you can really really appreciate the art and craft of the world that your character is like walking around in so totally. i haven't totally. gotten a chance to dive into like any like real cinematic games yet but that's kind of my goal dude try i mean so it's, it's a game i think it came out in 2019 try control it control is like and i was saying to liam it's like obviously the designers of that game love beyond the black rainbow and they love David Lynch stuff. And that game is that combo. Oh, yeah. This looks cool. Dude, it's pretty rad. And uh, there's different sections and sequences in it that are very exciting. And the score is really great. And the sound design is really great. Um, I've been enjoying the hell out of it. And I know I'm so late to the party on this one. But it's fun. So if you guys have I'm gonna it, Yeah, I'm going to check this out for sure. Dude, it's great, dude. It's fun. Oh, yeah. That, I'm looking. I see the, uh, it looks like the carpet is like a shining, like from The Shining or something mm-hmm. like that in the one room. Mm-hmm. She has like, does she have like, tele, do you have like telekinetic powers? Is mm-hmm. that what's going on here? Yeah, this mm-hmm. is cool. Mm-hmm. And for the first time ever on a computer that I've had in my possession, I was able to go to the game settings and crank everything up to yes. the fullest. Dude, I did the same thing. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, you're turning on all these little details and you're like, holy shit, like, I can't believe they put this much detail into that. And I can't believe I'm being able to just like freely walk around this space without any hiccups. Yeah, totally, dude. Totally, totally. So and that's like, when you're like, damn, you look at your computer, you look at your PC and you're like, fuck it. And a horse, I got an engine in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the difference between that and the PlayStations, I mean, the new version, the new PlayStations oh. are pretty fucking powerful, but the difference is like astronomical. Yeah. The new PS5. The un, the unreal. I think they're using Unreal Engine or something in it. I watched the preview for it. It looks insane. Have you I done was blown it, away? Have you done any, or have you been involved with post production on any of that new Unreal shooting stuff? That's no, going I, I honestly don't know anything about it at all, and I'm, I'm pretty cur- I'm pretty curious. Not it's to cool. be like throwing like, oh, you should go to that kind of guest. Like, if you could get some guy, come on your show and talk about it. That would be fucking awesome. To- totally, we will. And uh, like, I, I, who did we talk about it recently? Oh, the show hasn't come out yet. So yes, we do have someone that we, that I think we talk a little bit about it on air. But I know he shot stuff for it. Um, we also it, are, uh, we're also working on getting somebody who actually like was in charge of uh, the VFX stuff for some of that stuff. Yeah, oh, good. We're, we're in talks. Yeah, yeah, good, good, good. Yeah, 
It's crazy stuff. Um, I know Matt Workman was playing with it for quite some time, um, and he put out a bunch of stuff on it. I kind of dig it. And when you watch uh, Metalorian, Metalorian is is basically like, what is it, like 75%, if not 80% of that thing is yeah. shot in front of that. I dig it. Um, I just think that if I had something that I was shooting over 80% in front of like, you know, three led screens and that was the entire production i think i would get a little bored Um, i do too it makes you it makes you kind of question like i mean essentially at the end of the day it's like it's all we're supposed to be just be doing magic tricks right and it's like are you kind of giving into these like like are you like is uh, the idea if you can pull off on set on a fucking unreal engine in an unreal engine studio if you can pull off the exact like an identical look right Mm-hmm. for like shooting in like Iceland and doing so or like something crazy like that right do you really just want to be in a be like out there in nature like dealing with all like the brutality of having to film on location somewhere distant because you want to do that because it's like part of the fun adventure or do you actually think it's going to make it better right you kind of like are like like do, are you just like what I really I mean I probably would I probably would really just want to go there and film because I want to be there and filming there and it's like fun it feels like an adventure but at the end of the day it's like if you're really just worried about your end product where does that difference lie you know what i mean are you going to get better from stuff from your talent because they're really there well dude the only thing i can equate it to is what i've shot okay so like the references for this i think shooting in that scenario is very similar to the way that we shot the last scenes in 12 cam but instead of it being led walls it was black space so we essentially went into a giant studio painted the whole studio black and put and put sand on the black sand on the floor and so i'm in this space that is essentially just walls of blackness and i'm trying to get my coverage in this scene with minimal foreground props and minimal all that sort of stuff and trying to make it work really well and Doing it for that sequence, getting through the coverage in that sequence started to feel exhausting because the set and the stage really wasn't inspiring anything. And it was actually making things more difficult for me and the team because we, I remember, I remember Kruda looking at me once going, do you know what we're fucking shooting? Do you know which direction we're shooting? I go, oh, yeah, I got it wrapped my head around it. He's like, as long as you do, I'll just turn the camera on. I was like, Okay. Um, but the same thing with the actors, where the actors essentially are bare bone and sort of stripped down and they're, they're trying to respond with this. Now, to, to contradict that, when you watch Metalorian, they built the foreground objects. They had portions of the spaceship that were built, and then the, the LEDs or the, uh, the screens extended those ships, which helps, but you're still restricted within the confines of like 20 by 20 or whatever the fucking thing is. You know what I mean? Um, And you can see it. If you go back and watch that show, you can see their actions portraying that. You can see the way that they're looking around corners of doors and shooting, and you can see the way that they're doing uh, levels of that stuff, which just don't feel as organic. Yeah. I will say this. I guess like the, you know, the classic notion and probably one I, I would still stick to, even though I just said all that stuff about, you know, shooting unreal versus on set is like, if you can do it for real do it for real. So I think maybe in like when you're doing like a sci-fi world where it's like, we're not going to, this isn't real. 
right? Yeah. But yeah, yeah. it can be a lot more real than a fucking green screen. The talent can really look out there and look out into space or something like that. So it's probably like, a, you know, it's an insane step up. Like the next Avengers film or whatever, like, like aren't they done though? I, I, I don't know like where those are, like if there's another Avengers film or whatever, but like the next time I see all the behind the scenes for that stuff, I don't want to see all the green screen. I want to see like them on these big unreal sets. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, you can see the difference. I mean, look at the difference between uh, Metalorian and um, Tenet. So the new um, Christopher Nolan movie that's coming out. And just the sequences in the trailer, just them walking down hallways, just them doing things that are specific, it feels bigger. Somehow it feels bigger and more organic than the Metalorian did, somehow. And I, I think that when you look at how Christopher Nolan does stuff, whether you're talking about Inception or you're talking about that movie, uh, he builds these sets practically. He builds these environments practically. Um, and I know the big excuse is I want to make sure the actors feel comfortable. I want to make sure the actors feel inspired. And I know a lot of tech guys roll their eyes because they're just like, who cares? Just say your fucking lines. Well, it's beyond that. It's also that the camera team feels inspired. It's also that the accidents that you find while moving a camera and a light shines into the lens from an angle that you didn't even fucking think about yeah. are really important. We just got finished doing, and it may come out prior to this episode. It may not come out. Um, I don't know what order, but we just uh, had the production designer from Marvelous Ms. Maisel on. Because that show is fucking outstanding as far as production design is concerned. And he talks in detail about how when he builds sets, he builds sets to shoot basically 360. And he goes through the sets and fills all the drawers with things. He makes sure that the sinks can get turned on. And these are built sets from scratch. And he does that so that way when I'm in the room with an actor or you're in the room with an actor and the bullshit that I put on the page that I came up with in my house and I came up with prior to it going, this will work. And then I get to set and we look at that bullshit and we go, this looks stupid. And as you're filming it, you go, this is dumb. And of course it's dumb because I'm, I've never experienced this before. So I don't know how to find it yet. And so you and that actor sit across from each other and you go, well, in this space, what makes sense to you? Like what, what do you think you should do here? And you'll see these actors, and he talks about it on the show, on one of his, I, I don't think it was that show, Liam, I think it was another movie he did. Uh, yeah, it was another movie with Robin Williams that he did. And he watched on a set that they had built, Robin Williams and this director sort of working this stuff out and trying to find the scene in the moment. And Robin Williams was like, I'm going to go wash my hands in the sink, and I'm going to come back and deliver my lines, and that'll put me in the mode. And the production team was freaking the fuck out because they hadn't hooked up water to the sink. And so they had to like scramble to hook up water <laughs> to the sink to make the water work. But in that scenario, the director needed that. And the actor needed that. And the, the, the camera team needed that. Everybody needed the ability to play. And I think that if you are relying too much on your pre-planned stuff, which I 100% endorse, but the the issue is in those moments where I don't know if you've run into the same thing, Dan, where like I'll have a clear vision for a sequence and I'll storyboard out that sequence, but there's usually two or three shots that I can't really figure out. And I'm like, 
yeah, but I'll just do basic coverage here and I'll just, I'll lay that down. Now I usually star that board or something. So I remember when I'm on set that this is a bullshit board and I need to come up with a better idea there. Yes, um, 100%. Do you you sort of it? like you sort of plan things perfectly so that on the day you can deviate as much as possible. Right, right. It's like we have a perfect game plan because we know our game plan. Now I can kind of do something different. So my concern is that if my set is literally a fucking room full of giant television sets, and I only have one or two backgrounds that we've created in Unreal to put on the screen or one or two different textures to put on that screen and that texture isn't right and it's not working right and it doesn't flow right, then I really have no options to look around other than turning to the guys and going, we need to build a new background. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great point. It's kind of, um, it reminds me, so did you, did you catch the lighthouse by any chance? Yeah. Yes, yeah. So, so I'm pretty sure like that dude, Robert Eggers built that whole lighthouse, right? Really? I didn't. Can, oh, can, I didn't look we, into can that. Can we confirm that? I'm pretty sure he. They like went up to Canada and legitimately like built a lighthouse somewhere. And like everything in that film, the way that dude di- like directs and does production design is psych. It's psychotic. It's like yeah, everything terrible. is like of the era, completely real. Every fucking button, every fucking thing is like custom made, right? Like everything and like but. And you can kind of laugh at it a little bit. You're like, dude, come on. Like, no one's going to fucking know about a button or this or that. But then, like, when you're watching it, you cannot deny that you feel like you're in that world. And that I bet when those dudes are on set, they can fully feel like they're in that world. And then you're basically that, – that world becomes reality and you just happen to have a camera there, right? Yeah. And you can, yeah. F- you can feel that. You can feel that when you watch his films. And I, like, I really admire it. Mm-hmm. Well, he's a, like you said, he's a psychopath. Yeah, like, it's, it's truly psychotic. It's awesome. Yeah, I, dude. I do want to confirm he did build the lighthouse. Yeah, yep. li- fucking psychotic. On to- you could literally get it. You could have just done it VFX. It would have been a million times cheaper. It would have been probably easier. But it's like, no, we need that lighthouse there. <laughs> but I get it. I, I get, get it. it. Yeah, yeah you, can, you can feel it. I can't deny the feeling that you get. Yeah, because when you walk into a space like that, when we were doing Who's There?, and I walked in and I scouted out that house that we ended up shooting in. I had no idea that that was the place. Gina was the one that suggested it. And I went and I looked at the spot. And based upon her suggestions, I thought it was going to suck. <laughs> and then walked into the spot. And I was like, holy fuck. And it, the place was so much bigger than I had ever anticipated it being. And I remember calling up Kruda going, is this place too big? And he goes, it's never too big. And I was like, okay. Um, but like that atmosphere, that mood. All of that changed everything. All of that changes everything. And then from like a logistical standpoint, when you're dealing with crew, right? So when you're doing stage shoots, and I love doing studio shoots. I love them because it's very contained. It's very comfortable. You know, you usually have a cafeteria area. You usually have a space where your video village doesn't really move. And you just have this spot. But what happens is that everybody sort of gets in that mode that sort of stage mode where it's like back on stage, back on the set, back on the stage. And when you're in that environment as a crew person, I think it's easier to fall out of the mode. Because very sterile. Exactly. Exactly. But much better way of phrasing it. Um, but when you're on location, you're in that mode a hundred fucking percent. 
the whole fucking time because that location is still a living, breathing, operating facility in one way or another. Um, and I think that you can see that with Christopher Nolan's movies. And I think that's why his Batman movies were so fucking dynamic was that it was, he was taking what had previously been a Batman that, um, that, um, what's his name? Um, Tim Burton had developed on stages and took the superhero and put him out in the real world, put him out yeah. in real location. It felt real, felt grounded. And you can't deny like, being on set and when you're looking into the monitor and you're really there and the lightings are there and everyone's fucking quiet and your talent is fully into it for a second, you're, you feel like a real fly on the wall in this real situation that's happening. And it's like this crazy, uh, surreal moment. Like, Oh my God, this thing that was in my head, that's real happening in front of me right now. Fully. Oh, I love that dude. Yeah. It's I like a, it's a, it's a high. It's a high. I think it's uh, a high. I think there's like there's there's like those different moments throughout production where it's like when your idea finally works and clicks on paper. Um, and then I think the next stage is like when you're on set and everything's finally set up. And that first time you look into the monitor and you go, holy shit, what is in my head is on that fucking screen right now. That is a, that is magic. Uh, That's crazy. I love dude. I love it, man. I love walking through a lit set. It's like my favorite thing. It's like just going through an atmosphere, especially when you're using haze and volumetrics and you're using all this kind of stuff and you're just lighting. And I've said this so many times in the show, lighting to me is, is such a tasty thing. And when you, when you're in it and you're surrounded by it and you're standing in great lighting, um, there's nothing more inspiring. Yeah. It's, it's, it feels like, I mean, this is, Oh, interest, like a, might be a funny comparison, but um, I've become a Disney pass holder, right? Uh-huh. And I get that same. So I go to, I, I mean, before, before COVID and stuff like that, I was going to Disney like every couple weeks. And <laughs> dude, but you get that same fucking high walking through the park in those sets because they're, they're built with such detail and there's so much fucking production design and the lighting is there and the atmosphere and the smell right? You walk into some of these rides and you're like, I'm fucking in this world. I love this because I feel like I'm in a movie the, to the, down to the, the way they do the music throughout the park where it transitions and you're going through different worlds and stuff like that. It's a very, very similar feeling to huh. being on set. It, it's weird. It's a weird thing, but like it's the exact same vibe I get. It's like a little, it keeps you like satisfied and keeps that like, it keeps, it keeps that like energy going when you're not able to be on set for months at a time. Okay, so you're the first person that has phrased uh, going to theme parks as a, a, in an interesting way to me. <laughs> because but the theme park thing always seemed like a West Coast thing. Like back when I was in Boston, one of my roommates, uh, one of my last roommates that I had was from the West Coast. And he was like, I'm a pass holder for fucking Disneyland and all this sort of stuff. And being an East Coast guy, I was like, what the fuck? How many times do you go on rides in Disneyland? Why would you ever need to be a pass holder? I go and I don't go on the rides. I will literally <laughs> grab a churro and walk around and just absorb the world. You know what I mean? That's so funny. And you being Philly boy, so you're an East Coast guy too. I think it's hysterical that you're that you're into that. Oh, dude, it's fucking awesome. I mean, no, it's specifically <laughs> Disney. Like, I'm not. I mean, Universal doesn't have like that same magic. It's just the amount of fucking detail that goes into everything. And you're standing in line. Dude, the Guardians of the Galaxy ride, it feels like you're on this giant set. There's details in everything. Like you're in this big fucking sci-fi set and you're just standing there and like 
you can be excited in line and you're like looking at every little thing in every case and you're like, dude, they fucking put so much into this. You know what I mean? Probably more than the film, right? Like every little thing is painted perfectly. Every little detail, it's lit perfectly. There's the fog and the atmosphere in here. And if you get to be like a part of those worlds for a little bit. That's cool. Yeah. I'll have to go try and I'll have to, uh, I'll have to go try it out. I'll have to embarrass my old East Coast boy and go, yeah, I'll oh, go to no, Disney. Dude, man, put the ears on and just go for them. <laughs> <laughs> grab your ears, grab a churro, have a fucking awesome day. <laughs> oh, man. Um, you can go how- over to California Adventure and get blasted and then we'll walk back over at the other park. Well, dude, once we can get out of COVID, Dan, we're yeah, hanging out again. Absolutely. We're hanging out again, man. Uh, Dan has been uh, a big part of all the things that we were doing here before COVID. Uh, how many barbecues? We were at like a couple of barbecues. Yeah, us, at least right? a few. Yeah, man. Um, I'm 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 waiting desperately for us to be able to hang out again, dude. I think it'll be fun. Yeah, I know the hangs are the hangs are fun. <laughs> the hangs are fun. You get drunk, you get sleepy because you're drinking, all, you're eating all the barbecue. Yeah, play yeah. some games. What's better? Yeah, and the barbecue's getting out of control right now. <laughs> it really is. Like, I just got, uh, was my latest thing, uh, I just got the new rotisserie attachment for my Weber, so I'm doing rotisseries, and now I want to get into doing, like, big old, um, like, uh, pabils and carnitas and shit on that thing. Oh, man. It's funny to think, like, everyone's kind of gone, like, oh, yeah, I, I baked a little bit of bread, where it's like, you've kind of, like... <laughs> Since you're already so far down that path of like doing things, it's like, how much further do you go through all this where you're like, all right, I'm really going to step it up. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the problem is, is now I'm stepping it up on, on objects like a rotisserie where I require at least 12 people to join me on that adventure. <laughs> I, mean, I expect a full pig. Because <laughs> otherwise I'm murdering myself. Just yeah, slowly. Come over the next time you're going to be doing like that thing where they like, dig the giant hole and like roast the pig oh. underground or something like that. Your whole front lawn's on fire. Uh, dude, I'm into it. I'm into <laughs> it. I'm into it. Uh, and so that's what Cruda and I have been talking about. Uh, Cause we're all talking about wanting to do like some sort of barbecue adventure after all this is done. That's an awesome idea. Uh, we have to do something, man. Like it's, it's going to be like, I just miss all you guys, you know, in real life. And so, dude. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to wonder what the long-term effects of like people not hanging out is. I've legitimately ho- haven't hung out with any friends really. Yeah, me either. For, like in months, right? No, <laughs> like aside from like online or like when you're doing you're doing the screenings, you know, uh-huh. like re- no no real hangs in person. I wonder what the long-term effects of this are going to be. Uh, yeah, I know. We're just going to be we're going to have transformed. It's like everyone has good bread, good coffee, and doesn't know how to speak to each other. Yeah, but it's like prior to COVID, we all went into a cocoon as like abrasive East Coasters that were just like, don't show any emotion. Don't come near me. Don't touch me. And now we're going <laughs> to come out of this cocoon as beautiful little emotional butterflies. That's like, yeah, hey, buddy. Very nervous hugs. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. I love it. Uh, where are we at? Oh, we got a long episode going here, man. How are you on time? You running out of time? No, I'm good. Um. So let's say, let's see if I can pull this back because it's been us talking on also it's a really good tangent. What do you think, Liam? Has this been a good show or what? It's been a show. It's just, <laughs> and that was our episode. <laughs> it's just one long bleep. Yeah. Uh, so 
So um, now that you've been, um, so you do a lot of editing, and so we haven't, and we haven't really talked about editing on the show, and I know that's a whole episode within itself. Um, what have you, what have you learned? Because did you, you started as a director and then you picked up editing as basically a, as a, as a yeah. means of editing was Editing was to service my directing. Everything I've directed, I've also edited. So in that process of like editing everything I've ever done, you pick up an entire editing reel. And then you realize that editing is uh, at a certain level, like a lot more lucrative <laughs> than directing. Mm-hmm. At mm-hmm. least, you know what I mean? Like, you can only direct a few things a year. You can edit nonstop all year on all these great projects or all these big companies. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Totally, dude. Totally. Um, so it's very lucrative. And it's it's a very, I mean, I like being in an editing room by myself. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people will, I mean, there's kind of like two. So I have friends who like in their, you know, their regular day job is they're producers, they're in-house producers of places and things like that. They're fucking making budgets and doing all this stuff. They hate editing. Uh, other friends who are like, who will direct things that like they don't care about. You know what I mean? Lots of like corporate things mm-hmm. that just will never see the light of day on their pages or their reels or anything like that. I have absolutely no interest in <laughs> doing those things because it just sounds like a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Editing, I get to be alone. I can take notes. You know what I mean? I can, it's just like the process I like. So, yeah, totally. Um, sorry, what was your original question? What no, no. I- it's so like knowing that and getting into this editing thing, was there a learning curve for you? Because you started cutting all your own stuff and now you have to sort of change your brain pattern into working for other people and cutting with other people's stuff. Was it difficult in the beginning or did you just sort of jump right into that? I think I was able to jump right in. I mean, like I said earlier, like I, I've been editing since doing tape to tape deck VHS to VHS stuff. Right. So like as a craft, it's pretty, there's, you know, you you can separate the craft from the physical way of editing, right? Like you can edit in different programs. You can edit on different computers. There's the physical uh, quickness of being able to like cut and move things around. Right. But Mm -hmm. I really don't think that's the craft of editing. I think editing is where I can have, absorbed all the footage not be near my computer i can get on a call with notes and i can tell them if a note will work or not because i can edit it in my brain or like you can literally just do it like you're when you're when you're just moving piece around in your timeline that's just like the tangible uh formation of what's already happened in your brain you've already you're it's it's exactly what i was saying earlier with writing scripts it's just puzzle pieces, right? Mm-hmm, so you mm-hmm. have the puzzle pieces. You can imagine how they would fit together. If you know them all, you can just do it in your head. You can be like, okay, that would come, that clip would come here. And then I would cut to that. And then I would cut to that. And you can edit like a commercial in your head completely. If you know all the footage and just go. And if you, if your skills are, are quick enough, you can do it really fast, right? Because yeah, you've already, totally. you've, you've really already done the work in your head. Yep. Yep. And yep, I think yep. that's like, I think good editors, I bet like, I mean, granted, I've never edited a feature. I've never worked with a feature editor. Um, but I bet that when you're when uh, an edit, a feature editor and a director are sitting there talking, they will talk for hours without touching clips. I imagine that they're like, you know, maybe a little bit here and there, but I bet there's so many big conversations of, of how mm-hmm. things would work because the editor knows the footage well enough. They know the scenes. They know what they have to be able to just talk about it and kind of talk through things before they ever even do it. 
It totally makes sense. And it it's fascinating. It's fascinating how it's changed my perspective because similar to you, I used to do VHS to VHS thing, but when I went to film school, I cut on old steam bags. So we would cut and uh, cut and tape film. So, which so, was like... I'm really glad I never had to do that. Oh, dude. <laughs> dude. And so then you... Oh, like a you, fucking nightmare. Dude, because then you understand. So how it would work is that you would run through the steam back, which was a platter uh, player, essentially. You would run your film through it. You'd find a cut that you would want, actually uh, shuttle right to that spot, and then cut it and use a cutter to actually cut the film. And then you would cut out clips, and they had what is now called a bin in in Premiere, but what it literally was was a trash bucket with wheels, a bin with wheels, and it had almost like a little clothesline hanging over it, and you would take those cuts that you did and clip them on the clothesline next to you. And so, sounds insane. <laughs> and so you would have to keep track of your cuts. And so... When you went through and you cut out that clip and you put it on the clothesline and then you watched that sequence and you went, oh, I was wrong. Then you would have to go back, untape that, and then find that clip on your bin, make sure it was the right film clip, and then tape it back on there again. And so in that process of editing, I learned how to edit ahead of time. I learned to do exactly what it is that you're saying, where you edit in your brain, because every cut is a thing. Every cut is... Uh, a process and god forbid one of the other fucking fellow students uh ran through the space and knocked into your bin and all your clips fell on the fucking ground (laughs) and you were like jesus christ and you're like going through trying to see what clips are for what and you're you're and by clips we're talking like 24 frames or five frames cut out of a piece and you're just like what the fuck is this again um so yeah, it really affected the way I think about editing and the way I think about shooting. Uh, yeah, I for sure. Had that time. Yeah, I think a lot of people look at editing as like literally just this hands-on skill. Like, oh, you know how to you know how to use Premiere, right? But it's like really that's not what editing is. Editing is you're literally you're solving you're a puzzle solver, and the mm-hmm. script or your boards or whatever are the on the jigsaw puzzle. They're the box. You mm-hmm. have the box and you have the pieces, right? So like the, the craft of editing really transcends any technology. Well, it's the, it's dude, it's the most important aspect. I mean, there's so many important aspects of making a film, but it is the most important um, because that's where you're, it's the second. Yeah. Yep. You're shaping the movie. Yeah. If coloring, it's like coloring is the second time, like a colorist is like the second DP and the editor is kind of in a way like the second writer. Mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. And I think that they should be looked at it, looked at as, I mean, I think they are looked that way, but you know, from like a, a normal perspective, I think people should give it more credit. I think, I think, it, you know, we're so in this like vlogger video, video, online video, very mm-hmm. like, you know, we're in that territory now where it seems very, it kind you kind of lose the craft behind, behind certain things. Totally, because 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 it is, and this is a longer this is a longer hole, but because it is, we are in that consumer level, uh, 
reality right now where it's just like, do you have the newest version? Do you have the newest update? Do you know how to use this thing? Do you know how to use these plugins? Do you know how to use all that crap? And yeah. we get so hyper-focused on these stupid details that literally only benefit the manufacturer of that piece of equipment. Um, and we define ourselves by these, or a lot of people define themselves by this bullshit. And you, re- you have to remind yourself that all of these jobs, whether you're talking about a cinematographer, you're talking about an editor, you're talking about a sound guy, they're storytellers. And you're essentially trying to take that medium that you've decided to work within and tell the best story possible. And the byproduct of that is that you have to learn how to use the gear or you have to learn how to use the paintbrushes. But no one is talking about Picasso's paintbrushes. Exactly. Yeah, it's just a tool. And just like, I think in like, dude, it's only a matter of time before editing is like some, it's like minority report and you have like gloves on your, your fingers are moving pieces around super quick, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, you have like a, you know what I mean? You have like, I bet like you can put on, you might even be able to do this now. I don't know. You can put on like some VR goggles and you have your gloves on and you're like in premiere world and you can move pieces around with your hands. Right. So maybe it takes someone a couple weeks to learn how to do that, but mm-hmm. it's not the guy who learns how to do it faster. That's going to be the better editor. Right. At the end of the day, it's going to be the editor who knows the craft of storytelling and editing that just learns how to do that and how to use that new tool. And that's just so that they're good at their job. But then uh, what my experience with editing and with editors has been, you then have to learn communication and you then have to learn uh, how to be an empathetic person. You then have to learn how to read the room. A lot of, I I think a lot of it is, uh, it'd almost be like maybe going to a mechanics, a bad example, but like, if you went, okay, so say you know nothing about cars, right? Mm-hmm. And your car is making a weird sound. You're not going to show up at the mechanic and go, hey, man, I think you need, you should switch this thing. You're going to go, hey, man, my car is making this weird sound. Fix it. And mm-hmm. I think the same should go for producers and people like that who are, who are speaking to editors where you have a cut. Maybe it's like a commercial or something like that. And you're going, you know what, man, I'm just. I, you don't say, hey, you should put this clip here or this clip there. You go, you know what, man? I'm not laughing. I'm not laughing at this part. Mm-hmm. You just you say the problem and let, let the person come up with the solution themselves mm-hmm. rather good. than trying to force – you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, imagine going to a mechanic and be like, yeah, dude, you need to put that there. And like, what are you talking about? It's never going to work. <laughs> totally, dude. It's, it's same good. thing. It's, it, it's solid advice. And it, you know what it is is it took me – years to sort of understand that as um, a director that would cut my own stuff. And I think when I first started cutting my own stuff, I would have to find it through that process. I would get in there and go, I don't know exactly what it is that I'm doing. So I'm going to find it through the edit and, and do that. As I started directing commercials and as I started to get into the position where I had other editors working for me, I had to figure out how to communicate with them um, that I didn't know what the fuck was wrong and um, that they that there needed to be a specific process to find those things. Uh, and it, it really changed the dynamic for me. And in the beginning, it was really frustrating because it was like, I can fucking figure this out if I sit down and move this clip and do this and do that, do this, because that's what, you, what I would do. But then I had to really train myself, which made me a better filmmaker. I had to train myself on how to allow them to find it, how to allow them to actually discover 
the dilemma and remind myself that if they can't figure it out, that we'll just keep going until they can figure it out. Yeah. Like it's, it, it doesn't matter. I kind of had that with like working with DPs for the first time mm. being, so, you know what I mean? Like kind of learning to, instead of being like, Hey, use this light to just be like, Hey, you know what? I'm not getting enough catch light in their eyes. Mm-hmm. It's like, dude, I, I, why am I telling this guy, this person what light to use? They work on set every day with all of these lights. I'm out here once every few months. Why would I think that I know what light to use better than them? That's insane. Yep. Right. Yep. So I'm just going to tell them what I don't like and they're going to fix it. Yep. 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 Smart. That makes you a better filmmaker. Yeah. And if you, yeah, apply that across the board to every, uh, I mean, director really, I, I've kind of, it's just like knowing what everyone does and then actually letting them do it and just kind of holding the roadmap, knowing where you're going. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, how do I, how do I get us here? This is where we need to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. A very elegant way of putting it, dude. It's, it's very true. And then as you start to discover these things, I started to examine, uh, what I was doing on set prior to that, and I was hiding. So especially with uh, commercials and stuff, I found myself hiding from the clients. And I would go get myself too invested in this shit. I would be too invested in what kind of lights we're using and how we're doing this stuff, and I'd be with the crew for too long. And it, it dawned on me, I think it dawned on me because I was working with a producer who pointed it out to me, that I was hiding. And it was like, oh, you're right. No, I should be... I already know how to do all this crew stuff. I've already been there. I've been a cinematographer. I've been on those sets. I've done that as a crew guy. I know what that life is like. I now have access to this whole other thing that I should be working on and I should be examining. I should be dealing with like client uh, communication. I should be dealing with um, how to translate my ideas to a group of creatives, how to problem solve, how to take their ideas and process those ideas on set. Um, and so once I learned that I became a better commercial director. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you pick really great people as you, you know, for your crew and stuff like that, it makes it a hundred times easier. I remember mm-hmm. the last thing me and Kruda did, I sent him my references and I remember being on set, honestly, just like aloof, like not paying one bit of attention to not <laughs> in like a way where I didn't care, just like in a way where like you just have so much trust in someone that like, there's absolutely no need for you to even look at what they're doing or care. So you're just hanging out with the talent, shooting the shit, making them comfortable. And then you come back to the monitor and you're like, oh yeah, this is literally my reference. This is exactly what my reference was, right? And just Mm -hmm. picking good people that you can trust. Yep. That's part of our job is casting. It's a big part of it, man. Casting the right people to get in there and do the job. Um, Well, I think we're good, man. This has been a great episode and uh, there's a lot of really good nuggets that uh, slipped out. Yeah, it's very positive. positive There'll probably be a big chunk in the middle that is missing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's been good, Dan. And um, this is the part of the show where I I ask the guests to give some advice to the younger listeners. And I think with you, I would ask. So in this, in your, in your current, in your current path that you've decided to take, right? So you've, you've gone through the process of, uh, shooting stuff with your friends to doing music videos and then deciding through the process of music videos that you really like directing those things to doing the commercials and now sort of coming back full circle and being like, what, the reason I'm in this is for the films. If you could go back and give your the younger version of yourself some advice 
And I'd say advice right before you started doing music videos, what would you tell the younger Dan? Um, okay, so this isn't something I came up with, but I remember hearing it and it just made things fucking click for me. I forget what director said this. It is another horror director. I taught me, I forget who it was. Um, and it may have just been like a tweet or something like that. But the advice was as a director to, and this sounds, this sounds kind of weird at first, but to lean into what you're good at and not necessarily what you like, like to do or what you like, you know what I mean? Does that make mm. any sense? Yes. Like, lean into what you're good at. Like, you, you kind of like you just flex your muscles, right? What if you're good at this thing, focus on it and be like that person, right? Lean in the things that you know how to do and know how to be good at rather than, cause you can get caught up. I think when you're trying to find your tones and your styles and, and what kind of director you want to be, you can kind of be like, Oh, well, I just saw a movie like that, that I loved. And that's like this like weird romantic Indian. Now I want to do that. And you know, and then you see something else, and you're like, oh, I, you know, actually, I want to do that because I really liked it. And it's like, honestly, most of the things you probably like, you shouldn't be making. Maybe you're you're probably not the best person to make that thing. But <laughs> there is something that you are the best person to, or to be making that, and you should be doing. You should lean into that, and then maybe later you can become those other people. But for now, like, know what you're good at and lean into it. And I think, I think that'll help you find, find your voice faster. I think it'll help you find your voice faster. So that's today's episode. I think it was worth the wait. Um, as always, Dan is uh, such a giving individual and I'm very happy to have him as a pal. And I can't wait to see the stuff that he makes because go check out his work. I'll put links below or Liam will put links below. Go look at Dan's stuff and you'll see why I dig it because uh, we both live in the same world. We both like the same aesthetics um, and I really like uh, Dan's tone and his work. So definitely go check him out. Support him. You can also find him on Instagram. We'll put those links below. Um, and... I'm going to apologize to you guys. As you listen to the show, you may have heard a lot of beeps. There may be sections that were pulled out of the show. Like I said at the beginning of, of the episode, I share too much on this show. Um, and if I admit something, it's just with the fear that me opening my big fucking mouth will stop it from actually happening. <laughs> That's it. So know that... If I say something on the show too early and I admit it, you'll probably hear it a half a year from now on the episode for real. Okay. Uh, I'm just really excited and as frustrated as you guys are because I know everybody who's fans of my work and has been following the movies wants to know who the fuck are you making these movies with? How is it happening? And what's going on? And I want to tell you and I want you guys to be a part of this process and I'm working really hard to get there. Um, so... If you hear me beep stuff out, uh, it's not just me being a dick. Although part of me likes being a dick, but it's not just me being a dick. It's uh, me just going, mm, uh, mm, I shouldn't say that yet. You know what I mean? I hope you guys are okay with that. And if you're not okay with that, then fill in the blank. And uh, as always, thank you so much for listening. Um, and that's today's episode. 
So, as always, thank you to Code Electro for the great music. Thank you to Liam for his hard work. And thank you for you for tuning in. And I will see you next Tuesday.